Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I am Damon Martin, as always, but this week we're kicking things off in a little different way. Matt Brown will still be here a little later in the show, but right now it's UFC 285 week. John Jones is coming back, and I couldn't think of a better way to kick off this show than a man who fought John Jones, a man who is going to be playing analyst this weekend for the John Jones fight, and he has his own fight coming up on May 13th on the same card where our, our co-host Matt Brown will be fighting, the great Anthony Smith. Anthony, what's going on? Not much, man. Just uh, living the dream. Uh, you know, just getting uh, the last few hangs in with the family before we get really fired up into training camp and things get hot and heavy. Yeah, I forgot to mention co-host of the Believe You Me podcast. You know, plug that you one as well with, with the great <laughs> Michael Bisping. Yeah, that's going well. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, the believers keep me on my toes, that's for sure. So if you guys haven't liked or subscribed or followed us there it's a it's a good laugh if you're looking for one that's for sure here's an important question i have to ask you anthony because i know that um when he's not calling fights or working out the gym or running businesses or you know tending to his children i also know that michael bisping occasionally calls power slap fights now <laughs> as i see so here's my question. You guys are co-hosting the show. Have you had a chance to slap Michael Bisping yet? I was curious if like, that's part of the show now, if maybe you could like test that out on him. No, not yet, but I am super jealous of him uh, <laughs> to be able to sit right there, you know, I don't know, ring, cage, cage, <laughs> slap side. There we go. Um, yeah, man, he does a great job there. He really does. You know, i got a good uh, analytical mind, and I do a good job of breaking down fights and kind of telling you what's going on. Uh, you know, what's happening, what should be happening, how could this person change the the outcome of, of the situation that they're in, as does Mike. He does a fantastic job there. Um, what Mike does alongside of that better than I do is, is get you excited. Um, he's a fantastic promoter, and he makes you care about something that maybe you wouldn't typically care about, a, care about a fight that maybe you wouldn't typically care about. 
Um, he's he's just better than I am by far in that aspect. So I think that the the slap fight league has the absolute perfect person to to be calling those competitions because he he has the same analytical mind. He he, he explains stuff you know in a layman's terms and where regular people can understand it um, as good as anybody. But he also can just get you excited about shit that you, maybe you wouldn't typically be excited about. <laughs> Yeah, he's very, very, very good at his job. I love what he does. Uh, before we get to John Jones, 285, all that kind of good stuff, I mentioned, of course, you got your fight book coming up in May, what is turning into being a pretty good card. I've seen some of the other fight announcements coming for that card. Uh, have you heard yet? Please tell me that's not going to be an Apex card. Please tell me it's going to be like with a crowd. It does seem like it's going to be with a crowd, not at the Thank Apex. God. Thank God. Yeah. Like Who's I was just fighting? like, uh, Court McGee. Court that's McGee. right that's yeah. right i did see that that's right yeah. man i'm excited to be on the card with those two ogs yeah uh, i love both of those guys it's kind of a shitty situation because i like them both a lot um just you know those are kind of your fighters fighter man it's it, those guys are some of the the best dude you'll ever meet so it sucks they have to fight each other because it means someone has to lose and i don't want to see either one of those guys lose yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a good one. Good card too. I've seen some of the other fights getting announced. It's gonna be a good card. So I'm glad. Hopefully, it's gonna be with a crowd. Of course, you got Johnny Walker, uh, mm-hmm. coming into that one. That's a good one. I don't know. What do, what are we thinking about Johnny Walker? He's uh, he's looked good lately. Couple wins in a row, and uh, it seems like a good matchup. I know, obviously, you know, a little a little disappointed you didn't get the Jamal Hill fight. Obviously, congrats to Jamal going out there getting the title yeah. and all that good stuff. And you worked with Jamal, which I still like to me like. You don't need me defending your character. Not that anyone's trying to like impugn your character, by the way. I'm just saying this, but like, if anyone wants to know what kind of character Anthony Smith has, he loses a fight, big main event, you know, arguably bigger than Johnny Walker. Let's be honest, because Jamal Hill was, you know, on a bit, a bit of a better run and has a win over Johnny Walker. Uh, didn't cry over spilled milk. Didn't, you know, didn't do it. Went and helped the guy. You went and helped the freaking guy get ready for Glover to share. You didn't, you didn't like complain. You didn't say, Oh no, I don't want to see this guy F him. No, right. you want to help the guy train for the fight. No, I mean, we, we all got the same goals here and, and Jamal and I've always had a good relationship. We've always it's been nothing but love when we run into each other. He's been super respectful um, of not just me, but my journey too. You know, he, he, he appreciates the things that I've gone through to get to where I am. Um, and he's, you know, he's got, he's got a, he's got a whole shit ton of kids to do. Um, <laughs> so we, we connect on that front as far as just, you know, being younger fathers with not necessarily that we're super young, but we're for the amount of kids we have, we're probably pretty young. Um, <laughs> and I mean, shit, we got 10 kids between the two of us. So, um, doesn't, that, even, doesn't, doesn't that automatically add like 20 years to your age just by like default? So. Yeah, it feels like <laughs> it. I'll tell you that. But the, the guy's just, he's out here trying to change his kid's life. And we've had, we've had conversations like that, even when we were booked to fight each other, you know, we were at the, in New York city for that MSG card, the last one. And, you know, we were fighting each other at the time and no one else knew it because it wasn't public yet, but we had a long conversation about trying to just change the lives of our children and give them opportunities that neither one of us had. So I've always had a lot of respect for that guy. Um, and he, and he asked, you know, he's, he, he wanted some help. And if you, Damn it! If you got the if you got the balls and 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 are humble enough to say, hey, I'd I'd really like to have your help, uh, man, I can check my own ego enough to to go down there and give it to him. I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Would it be weird? Would it be weirder now to fight him though? Like now that you guys have actually spent like weeks of training, like it's one thing to have on like common ground to be kind of cool with a guy, right? Like it's it, that's mm-hmm. okay, like. Yeah, you are a nice guy. I know you are a killer in the cage, but you are actually a nice guy. Now you'll, you know, someone can bring the fierce side out of you, but like now that you've actually like 
traded, you know, you've, you've worked with for a couple months, right? Like it was like several weeks. It wasn't just like a week of training. You worked uh, with it for a well, while. As far as hard training, you know, uh, we did, I was there for a week. Um, and then we trained together and we got together, uh, after that. And then in Brazil. So, yeah, yeah I mean, we bit, we spent significant amount of time together. So would so, it be, so would it be weird now if, cause I mean, he's the champ. So, I mean, that's the goal. So no, I don't think so. I don't. And he doesn't think so either. From what I understand it, it just is what it is. I mean, we train with with people all the time and you train in the same places as your opponents when we're traveling. And it just is what it is. Like, you know, I've trained around Johnny Walker before and it's not weird. You know, it's, um, it just is what it is. I'm a different guy every six months. He's a different guy every, you know, every handful of months. We're we're always changing things, adding new skills. It's, you know, we check the friendship, go fight, and then we'll have a beer about it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I I don't really know. I obviously I know you a lot better. I know Jamal, but from everyone I've seen around him or heard around him, he's that kind of dude. Like, you know, like, I mean, like, it's like fighting Glover. Like, how can you say a bad word about Glover to share? Right? Like, the dude right. is like the nicest, genuinely good dude. But, you know, it's fight time. You got to go out there and punch each other in the face. It's just work. And, it, and they'll both fight. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you That's know. Sure. Yeah. I just wonder because, like I said, it's it's got to be a little weird, right, to go from, like, you know, quietly getting ready to fight him and then, oh, yeah, I'm going to help you fight someone else. I think and, it's less and, weird. <laughs> really? I think it's less weird, yeah. Because there's always that, like, like I don't know Johnny Walker. You know what I mean? I don't know nothing about him. Um, as far as how he, who he is as a person and what's he do for fun. And you know what I mean? I don't know anything about him. Never had a conversation with him. Um, so it's just weird getting in there and, you know, in an octagon with a guy that you don't know to go punch him in the face for your own gain. You know, it's just when you really sit back and think about it, that's some weird shit. But I know like Jamal and I know each other there and we're familiar enough with each other. We're like, once we touch gloves and we start moving around, like that will be a familiar thing to see. Like, he'll, he'll be familiar with my movement and, and, and not necessarily that he was like trying to get something out of me when we were training together and use it later. It's just, Oh, I've seen that before. Like I've seen that type of movement before. Like it it's, you know, it it's weird as it sounds like when I, one of the weirder moments when you're in the octagon is like when you step in and you look across at him and like, they don't have a shirt on anymore. And maybe you've never been in person with him without a shirt on or how big they are, how, you know what I mean? Like, Jamal and I are very familiar with each other. So I, I think it's less weird. There's not that weird, awkward feeling out stage. I don't think we'll have, and we'll just get right at it. And I'd imagine too, in a way, like not that you want to fight him, but like you root for him, right? Like that's a guy you like, like you'd root for him to do well. Like you, you weren't rooting against him to, you know, you were, I'm sure you rooted for him to win the title. And you know, not again, this is nothing against Yuri or, or Magomed or anyone else he'd fight, but like, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some part of you'd be like, yeah, I hope he does win. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because you got some skin in the game, you know, like I gave him, this wasn't one of those situations where I, I went in there and just half-assed it and gave him a couple pointers and dipped out. Like I gave him a lot of like intimate details. You know what I mean? I gave him a lot of little things that he would have been, he wouldn't have been able to get that stuff anywhere else, but from me that, you know, like those are things that I carry with me only. So and he used those things in the fight. So uh, I I was I was willing to open up essentially open my heart up and give him pieces of me that I that I I guess earned while I was in there with Glover. And I I gave those to Jamal and and part of me part of me feels a little bit bad for Glover because I pulled the curtain back, you know what I mean? I took the surprise factor away. Um and and gave Jamal an advantage that otherwise no one else has had. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm sure Jamal appreciates that. He became champion that night. He does, too. That's the the second part of it is not only did I give him something special, um, then it meant a lot to me to give it to him. And and give him that opportunity and ability and and listen he went in there and fought his ass off he did his thing that that's a hundred percent him, um, but he was appreciative of of me taking the time and and time out of my own day to go to go help him so I mean it's one thing to help someone but to get absolute appreciation uh, and for him to mean it means another thing. Is it twisted that I'm sitting there thinking, man, I still want to see you guys fight just because I think that'd be an amazing <laughs> fight. Like, I know it's weird, I, right? Like, I love that. I love that guy, but no matter what, it's going to have to happen at some point. Yeah. Like, I just think like when the fight got made originally, I was like, God, that's a great fight. Like, that's such a good fight. Like now I'm kind of like, I still want to see that fight. And I know that's not the focus, but I'm like, no, you know, no offense, happen. but I still want to see it. Know. I still want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. We both know it. It's going to happen at some point. So we got UFC 285 coming this weekend. As I mentioned, you're going to be working as an analyst this week. And it's so funny. After you fought John, you, there's two subject matters. Anytime you do a podcast or your own podcast or other people's podcasts, there's like two trigger words that always come up with Anthony Smith. One is Conor McGregor because Conor loves to come at you and it's always funny. Uh, and I just think it's hilarious. But the other one's John because you fought John. And you've been very honest about John in interviews and talking on your own podcast. And some, and then, like, over time, I know I'm, like, pulling back the curtain here, but, like, you've told me off the air, you're like, God, people just always want to talk to you about John Jones. And I, I get it. Like, you're here's the thing, Anthony. You're an incredible analyst, right? Like, you're not a guy who's just saying things to say things to, to get headlines. That's not who you are. That's part of the reason beyond my you know friendship with you for so long that i like having you on because you are analytical you can cut you can pull yourself out of a situation mm-hmm. and just look at it from the outside in but you also have again talking about intimate details you spent five rounds in the cage with john jones you know what he is so uh, it's funny though because now here we are he's finally back he's finally fighting heavyweight so he's out of your you know you guys are not chances are not going to run into each other again because he's now heavyweight and um you know he's doing his own thing up there but uh are you are you excited for john to be back I'm very excited. I'm very excited to have John Jones back. Listen, John Jones and I's history aside, he's good for the sport. As far as the excitement factor, he's, I've said it before and I'll say it again. He he's probably the greatest of all time. Um, I, I, there's, there's other people that are in that conversation. And so I, I don't think that that's a hard and fast thing. You know what I mean? It's an opinion piece. Um, but if it's not him, it's GSP or Anderson Silva. It's those three. It's you know, those are the the three guys standing at the top of the mountain. And and my argument has always been John Jones's strength of schedule is harder than anybody I've ever seen. Um, especially he beat those guys in their prime, and he did it emphatically. Especially earlier on in his title run, when he was just he was smoking people and doing it in ways that we'd never seen before. So um, I'm excited to have him back. I'm ex- and there, and there's some new, you know, there for a while. John Jones fights were getting kind of. Not that the fights were bad, but like it's kind of just the same old thing. Like this has a new wrinkle to it that makes it more exciting. It's a move up to heavyweight. We've the one knock on John has always been that he wasn't really into super fights or champ champ status or moving around weight classes or or whatever to give himself a challenge. Anderson Silva did it, GSP did it. And that was always the thing that people pointed out. Well, here we are. He's moving up to heavyweight. He was been he's been ready to fight. He wanted Francis Ngannou. Nobody wants Francis Ngannou. Um <laughs> But uh, it, again, I, I've been critical of John, but it, when it, when it's time to not be critical of John, I'm willing to do that too. And it, he wanted Francis Ngannou. Uh, I heard it way before it was public, uh, behind the scenes with people that are you know in the know and and people that you know are close to those decisions. 
he wanted Francis Ngannou. He asked for him several times. He's been ready for a long time. Uh, Francis, you know, had his deal and left, and Cyril Ghana is the next guy. He want, And John has been chasing Stipe as well. He's been talking about Stipe. He wanted Stipe. This guy's not ducking hard fights, that's for sure. Um, and, and I think that John has had a heavyweight frame his whole life. Um, when I, even when I fought him at 205, he is a massive, massive man. You know, he... He looked like he doubled in size from weigh-in day to the next day. He and his size gave me lots of problems. Um, so I, I think that he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna have any problems with heavyweight. Is he gonna slow down a little bit? Oh yeah, probably. You know, he's not gonna quite be quite as fast. His pace isn't gonna be quite as high. You know, there's gonna be some changes there. There's gonna be some ring rust. He's gonna have to knock off. But in terms of just pure excitement, just from the outside looking in, um, it's one of those fights that uh, I haven't been this excited for a fight in a long time. It's funny when you talk about the framing and the size. I remember one of the first times I met John Jones was in Philadelphia. And I can't remember what the UFC event was, but we were out like it was like the night of the weigh-ins. And I ran into John and introduced me like he was there. It was like a, a gathering party, whatever you want to call it. And he comes over and I introduced myself and because I interviewed him before. I just hadn't met him in person. And so I walk up and say, like, hey, John, I'm Damon, blah, 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 blah. I said, oh, man, great to meet you, you know, whatever talk. And at that point, his brothers were there, Art and, and, and Chandler. Now, they were both very – Art had been – Art was in the NFL. Chandler, I think, was maybe getting in the NFL, or he was very, very early on in his career. And I know John has joked around about how he was always the little brother because he was like mm -hmm. the skinnier kid or whatever. But I swear to God, when I saw him, if you would have if you would put the three of them in a lineup together in that moment, I would say John Jones, the football player, because he's freaking huge. He is a he's monstrously big. big dude. Like he, I, I'm six three. He's six four and wide. Like he looks like a heavyweight. Like he is a guy who has been a heavyweight masquerading as a light heavyweight for all these years because he is a bit like Daniel Cormier who. I think could have been maybe the greatest heavyweight ever if he had never left heavyweight. He was so freaking good at heavyweight. Kane Velasquez is another one where they are not naturally, they're not huge heavyweights. John Jones is a natural heavyweight. Like he really is. He's just a big, big dude who was able to cut down to 205. But like, I swear to God, when I saw him the first time, I was like, how in the F did this guy ever fight at 205 pounds? He's massive. He's a big guy. And and I think that the holdup for him making his way to heavyweight is not the number on the scale. If I'm being very honest, I would suspect John Jones used to, when he was at 205, I would guess, again, this is just all me speculating. I would guess he's seen 250 more than once. You know what I mean? Like I, he's probably north of 240 all the time. I mean, he's a natural heavyweight. It's getting to that size and carrying that weight once you're in shape and you're you're ready to fight and you're quote-unquote lean going into a fight and being able to carry 250 or 255 he's got to put that muscle on because i would guess he probably gets i bet he's gotten to 250 outside of training camp when he was at 205 but then once he starts working out he starts getting into his two or three day practices strength and conditioning starts cleaning his diet up i bet he i bet it comes off pretty quickly so because once he's in shape i mean that He's lean. He's he's in shape. He's got abs. I mean, uh, I would guess that it's not weird for him to be in the two forties or two fifties. It's just doing it with that extra muscle and doing it in a healthy way, not being kind of soft. Yeah. When John, when they finally announced that John was going to be, well, I, this is going back years. Obviously, when he said he was going to heavyweight, when he dropped the title and said he was going up to heavyweight, and then we waited three years for it to actually happen. But when we knew it was happening, when we knew he was coming back, we heard the rumors about they were going to book him a Stipe maybe while Francis was fighting or Francis was out. We heard all the rumors. Then it was Francis. 
and I said this numerous times, Anthony, I said, listen, Francis to me is the one bit of kryptonite that John Jones could have at heavyweight because Francis hits so freaking hard that you don't have to, you, you could be perfect. Your technique could be flawless. You could be the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, which is what I consider John Jones to be. You make one wrong move against Francis Ngannou, he will knock your head into the fifth row and blink. You know what I mean? That's just how dangerous that guy is. Now, I'm not saying Cyril Gon's not good. Obviously, you know my opinion on Stipe Miocic, but I thought Francis was the biggest threat to John Jones at heavyweight, just purely based so on I that side. Really? Yeah, I thought John Jones. I thought John Jones would fifty forty five Francis without a mark. Really? For sure. For at least in my opinion. Again, I'm, I'm I've been wrong before, but <laughs> um, I think Francis is one of the easier matchups for John. He's he's going to be slower than John. He's really predictable. Very, very predictable. You know exactly what you're going to get when you run into Francis Ngannou. He's not out here shooting double legs. He's not going to fight you in the clinch and start hitting you with Muay Thai elbows and knees. He, he's throwing absolute bombs. John is long enough. He manages range well enough, and I think he's faster and smarter. Um, and his skill set's rounder. So he he can he can get in and get out. He can pick at Francis from the outside, frustrate him, get him to open up, throw those wild bombs, clinch him, take him down, push him up against the fence. Uh, I, I think John gets in and out of a Francis and Gone fight fairly, fairly simply. Wow. So see I that Cyril, pre- I think Cyril Gone gives him more problems. Again, I'm gonna pick John Jones in the Cyril Gone fight because he has just more ways to win and and he just has more skills. Um, but if we if this is just a kickboxing fight, John Jones is gonna have his hands full for sure. But you start mixing in the 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 rest of the game and the clinch fighting, push him up against the fence and threaten the wrestling. You know, just the threat of John's wrestling is enough to give Cyril Cyril Gaunt some problems. So, I think that's a. I think this is a. Uh, I don't know. I think at points this is a tougher fight for John because Cyril's very mobile. You know, he's he, he's. I think he moves very. He moves very well for his for his size for sure. Um, but he moves similar to the way that John moves. You know, they have a, they actually have a very similar striking game. To be honest with you. You, uh, it's like you read my mind because part of the discussion I want to have is because, like, listen, we all understand you got to promote a fight, right? Like, we mm-hmm. get that. UFC's got it. And so, you know, we're not going to hear Francis's name come up very much this weekend. I get it. He's gone. It's it, And they're not wrong in that. He's not there. You can't sit there right. and talk about Francis Ngannou when he's not in the organization anymore. I get it. You don't it. want to promote someone else's product either. Yeah, but, 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 but it's also just not realistic, though, right? Like, we can't talk about John and Francis because right now it's not happening. Um right. But I, but you know, so a big part of the narrative going into it is, you know, this is the toughest, this is the toughest matchup John could have in heavyweight. Now you, you sound like you agree with. I actually thought Stipe was the toughest matchup for John because Stipe's wrestling is so good, he, he and I think be. that can that can negate a little bit of what John does well on the ground. Whereas I think, you know, listen, I think Cyril Gaon is an incredible athlete, and 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 a and a, a he's a light heavyweight. He moves like a light heavyweight to heavyweight. He's a very agile guy for heavyweight. And Cyril Gaon's bigger than Francis Ngannou. Yeah, he's a very very good. But my worry is, is that we've seen him have a couple of sloppy moments, like the fight with Taito Ivasa, where he got a little crazy, and obviously I know it's a different style, but he got taken down repeatedly. By Francis Ngannou with one leg, mm-hmm. and John Jones. No offense to Francis Ngannou, is a hundred times the wrestler that Francis Ngannou is. That to me. Now, will John Jones take the path of least resistance? 
you know, go the Brandon Vera route where he just takes him down and elbows his head into oblivion like he did with Gustafson in the rematch or whatever. That to me is that if he does that, and I applaud John for having good fight IQ, if he does that, I think he wins this fight going away. If he decides to test himself on the feet, because he's been talking a lot about Cyril's not the best kickboxer he's fought, he's fought better kickboxers. I don't I don't necessarily disagree on in theory, but as he fought a heavyweight kickboxer like Cyril gone, that's where no. I'm like, dude, don't play with fire. Do he not play with fire. <laughs> yeah, don't Cyril play with fire. <laughs> yeah, don't play with fire is my advice. Do not play with fire. Well, I think when John's looking at that, I, I agreed with what he said as far as the Tiago Santos is more devastating striker for sure. He's faster, he's more diverse. Um Tiago's more dangerous just in the simple fact that he's willing to put himself in trouble to do it. Um, but that's also a light heavyweight. And that's also a man that used to be a middleweight. So it is, is Cyril going to be as fast as Tiago? Absolutely not. But neither's John, you know, John's going to be slower than he was when he fought Tiago as well. So um, again, I'm, I'm picking John, but it's not going to be, if he just decides to test himself and stand out in front of Cyril Gaon the whole time, he's put it this way. That's not going to last long. I don't suspect he, he may have an idea that that's what he's going to do, but when you have the wrestling ability and the ground control ability and, and, and the takedown ability of John Jones, you, you're not going to hang out with those problems for very long. You're going to say, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, we're going up against the cage. We're going to play this clinch game. I'm banging up some elbows and you're getting taken down. Heavyweight, we all know part of the danger of heavyweight is exactly why the longest title reign is three title defenses. Mm -hmm. Like I consider, in my opinion, this is not a knock on anybody else. This is just my opinion. I think Cain Velasquez is the most talented heavyweight fighter of all time. His injuries prevented him from ever going in that kind of run. And even he got clipped and caught by Junior Dos Santos once. Now he came back mm -hmm. and just, you know, laid waste to Junior in two straight fights. And, you know, he beat, you know, he's, he's, he's gone out there and at his best. I think Kane is the most talented, best heavyweight ever. He didn't have the most accomplishments, so he's not the greatest, but I'm saying like in terms of talent mm -hmm. and even he had those weird upset law. He lost to Verdum. He lost to Junior, all those kind of things. If Cyril got, so do, in your opinion, because like I said, like I thought Francis, he's out of the picture. I still think Stipe presents problems. If Stipe's healthy and on point and his wrestling's good and his boxing's on point, I think he presents a problem to anyone. John Jones, Francis Ganu, Cyril Gan, whoever. But if 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 John Jones beats Cyril Gan on Saturday night, which I'm with you, I'm predicting he will do. I think he will win. Who is who else? Who else do you think? I mean, I guess they're all kind of dangerous, but like, who is the other? Who is the most dangerous? Who is the biggest riskiest fight for John Jones at heavyweight? Is it Cyril Gaon? Is this the biggest riskiest fight he could take, or is there someone else out there that you think is riskier? Well, there, there's a couple. That's the I think that's the fun thing with John Jones right now. There's a couple of really interesting fights. The Cyril Gaon fight is really really interesting. The Stipe fight very very interesting. Um, to be honest with you, Curtis, Curtis Blades. Very, very interesting. Like another high level, super explosive, dangerous striker against a guy who who isn't known as a knockout guy. That that's Curtis Blades' problem. It's always been his problem. Is he has everything right, but he he just has a he just he's just had a some a run of bad luck of getting caught by really powerful guys. Um, I it, 
will John Jones's power be much heavier at heavyweight? For sure. He's carrying, he's just carrying more. That's just how it is. But um, he's not known as a power guy. And a lot of that knockout ability isn't just your natural ability or your weight or your strength. Some of it is just the way that you fight. Some people just sit down on their punches more, which makes them a little less mobile, but also adds a little bit more power in their strikes. So John Jones is just not that guy. He doesn't sit down on punches like that. He's very, very active and very, very movement based. So I think a fight with Curtis Blades is very interesting to me. Um, you know, the, just seeing John against a, not only just a super high level wrestler, but a very, very aggressive, powerful, athletic, heavy, heavy, big goddamn guy. Like <laughs> Curtis Blades is huge. He is huge and he's athletic. He's got the cardio to go five. Um, and he's super explosive. Uh, that's interesting to me. The, and, you know, even we can go down to Tom Aspinall. That's really interesting to me. Um, there, there's a handful of guys like that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because, again, no one's done this. And I know it sounds like I'm already crowning him champion. I'm not. I'm not discounting Cyril Gaon. I'm just saying that, like, that's how good I think John Jones is. Like, I do believe, in my heart of hearts, John Jones is the greatest of all time already in terms of mixed martial arts. And I think I think he'll do well at heavyweight. But, again, there's just that inherent risk that you don't have, you know, that, that, that he's not faced before. That's what I was like with the Fran – like, you believe he would have 50-45 Francis. I don't think you're wrong. I just think, like, my opinion was is just that power scares oh, me. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like that. And and that's the thing about heavyweight. 40, you can 50-45 someone and be in control for 24 minutes and 30 seconds, and if Francis Ngannou he lands one shot and puts you out, that's it. So yeah. it doesn't make either one of us wrong. He might he might 50-45 and, and then also get caught at the end. You know what I mean? It's just that's how it is. Yeah, I mean that's like like that's what happened with Stepe and DC in the rematch. DC's up big, doing well. Stepe kept catches him and then puts him out. Uh, look at uh, what was it? Uh, Volkov and Derek Lewis, same thing. Volkov's winning handily. Not even it's not even a close fight. It's not even close. And one punch and Derek. So that's that's why this is that's why I'm so intrigued about John Jones at heavyweight because he was still getting hurt in the Francis fight in the fifth round. Yeah, that very first fight. Yeah, I mean, it, Francis could barely stand up. He'd land one shot and wobble Stipe, and he's got to get well, in you look and take at, them. Look at them after the fight. It looked like Stipe had been through a meat grinder, and Francis mm-hmm. looked fresh as day, but Francis had gotten beat up for 23 of the 25 right. minutes. Stipe looked like he'd been in a car accident. Yeah, yeah, so that's the thing bad. about that's what I'm that's what I'm just so I am fascinated. Like, and I imagine you are as well, like fascinated about how is John Jones really gonna but again. I think he wins this fight. I think he goes the path of least resistance. I think he takes Cyril Gone down. And I just think that's a, I think that's a, what if, if, if John can get Cyril gone down the way Francis did, Cyril gone will not get back up. Cause I think John is just leaps and bounds better than Francis on the ground. He will not get back up again. You know what I mean? Like that. And that to me is the difference. I agree with you a hundred percent on the feet. It's you're it's 50, 50. You're playing Mm -hmm. a dangerous game with a guy like Cyril gone. Take it to the ground, it becomes ninety ten or ninety five five. Like it becomes right. a lopsided fight, in my opinion. I dude, I totally agree. I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, before I get you out of here, so you're picking John Jones come as on, well. Come, come, yeah, I'm picking John Jones. Come on with that Jake Paul shit. I know where we're going. <laughs> You've been waiting so long. I know I know where we're going here. You know Jake Paul, dude. Jake Paul finally lost. You were the Jake right. Paul guy. That was that was your boy. That's my best friend. That's my best friend. <laughs> well, now, you know, now we honestly, as much as I want to give him a bunch of shit, uh, again, I'll, I'll take myself out of it. I, I, I don't think Jake Paul lost other than just the fight. I, I don't think he lost a whole lot to be very honest. 
Um, I thought he was extremely humble and, and and made all the right moves and said all the right things in defeat. He He's exactly where I thought he was as a boxer. Um, I have no problem calling him a professional boxer. Um, I don't think I've ever had a really a problem calling him a professional boxer. I just would never call him a good one. Um, Tommy Fury said it himself in his own press conference that he is a novice. He's a beginner. He's a very low level pro. Um, and that's about where Jake Paul is. Um, the issues I've always held with Jake Paul is him talking about greatness and fighting Canelo and, <laughs> and winning world titles and like, and, and then beating up on our legends and guys that we really love and revere. And then speaking about it as if he is the greatest of all time, the, the best boxer to ever lace him up. That was my problem. I've always defended his right to be able to fight. He's a, uh, he's a YouTube star. He's whatever. I don't care what you do to make money. If you want to box, I think you should have the right to get punched in the face, just like everybody else for money. Um, but I, I thought he handled it all well, to be honest with you. I don't think he looked bad as far as the, uh, the level that he's probably at. I thought the excitement was there. I thought the production was fantastic on the show. Um, it wasn't, it, there's was a little too much clinching for me, but that's kind of what you expect out of that level. They're not going to be in the pocket, throwing bombs, slipping and moving, you know, hit an angle and get right back at it. That's just not who, that's not where those guys are in their careers. Um, so I think some people were frustrated with the amount of clinching and hugging and, but that's, you know, if you, you go to a normal boxing pay-per-view and you, you, you kick your ass back down to the prelims and start watching some of those fights, that's about what it's going to look like. Um, I thought the last three rounds were really exciting because they really started to pour it on. I thought they both showed a lot of heart and, and grit because they were both pretty tired. They'd thrown a lot of big, wild, wide shots that, that do tend to miss that, that do tend to make you tired, especially when you're missing. Um, but honestly, my, my hats are kind of off to both those guys to, that's a lot of pressure. They carried a big pay-per-view. It's a, they said a lot of things that they had to really back up. Um, I do, man. I, I, I thought it was a, a success. I just don't want to hear Jake Paul talk about, um, his greatness anymore. Um, got a lot of holes. You got a lot of things you got to work on. Uh, but I, I can't knock the guy. He went out there and fought his ass off. He really did. Am I, you are a better analyst than me, Anthony, cause you obviously do the sport, you know, you know, the sport and I know you do watch and know boxing, you know? So let me ask you, am I right in my assessment that as funny as this sounds, Jake got outboxed like Jake, like Tommy Fury didn't do anything spectacular. He stuck behind a left jab and he good used good footwork. Those are basic boxing fundamentals, right? Like I've been to enough boxing matches and boxing gyms. Mm -hmm. That's like day. No, I'm not saying day one stuff, but like that's early, early fundamentals. And Tommy did it very well. And Jake didn't have an answer for it. Like that to me was the, like, it was not like Tommy was just, it wasn't, he wasn't styling. He wasn't magical. On Jake. No, yeah, he wasn't but, he, magical. but he did. I say outbox, like, of course, he outboxed him. I'm saying, like, he just did the fundamentals, the things that Jake, yeah, I mean, he got outboxed doesn't by really know how to not, do. He got outboxed by a guy that's not a very good boxer. And yeah. that's not saying that he's not going to be. Um, I do think there is a ceiling on Tommy Fury's career. Um, he is 23 years old. Most of the greats, the guys that really stand out, you're. Terrence Crawford, your Canelo Alvarez is your, you know, your, I don't know, Sean Porter's like those kind of guys. Those guys got a hundred boxing matches, you know, before they even turn pro. So he only had like 10 amateur fights. Tommy Fury, he, did, he didn't have that many. Now he's got eight or nine pro fights. Like 
he's about 90 fights behind most people his age or more. So he's got a lot to grow. He's got a lot of growing to do. And I don't think he has enough time left in his career before he runs into a couple hammers and that'll kind of be it. So it, it's, I think that they're doing the right thing to be honest with you, big fights, big pay-per-views, uh, control the matchups, um, and have some fun fights. I think I like rematch Jake Paul, see what happens there. Fight KSI, fight Tyron Woodley, like whatever, get everybody paid at this point. So, um, I don't, I don't see either one of those guys being like world beaters ever. There's a ceiling. Sense. There's a ceiling but, on both yeah, guys. It's not like, that far away from where they are now. <laughs> yeah. There's not, there's a ceiling. They're three quarters of the way there. Yeah, and I like and listen. I had never. I actually interviewed Tommy before the fight. Never really talked to him before. Really enjoyed my conversation with him. Kind of came out a slightly different opinion him because watching him box, I was like, my God, this guy's not a good boxer. I mean, I was very yeah, honest. You know, about, like, he, he's, he's seen some. You seen some flashes in that fight though. Like, yeah, he did. He generally, did. Generally, it was long, kind of uh, real heavy lead foot jab. Kind of dipped his head. They both did that where they're kind of looking away a little bit as they're throwing it, which is, again, neither one of them have very many fights. It takes some balls for everybody listening. It takes some balls to really tuck your chin, you know, hide your chin a little bit in your shoulder, stick that jab and step deep right into range and continue to look where you're going. It takes balls and time. It's not something, time is the one thing those guys don't have. So it, you know, they were, but they were, they were still throwing it hard. They were stepping deep. The counters were a little wide. They got a little square in their feet when they would start to throw it. it, it mid-level guys are going to eat both of those guys up. But yeah. I don't want this to sound like I'm knocking those guys because they, they did show a lot of heart. They really did because they were both hitting each other with some big shots. Um, and and uh, this will be the one time I, I don't I, I have to at least give Jake Paul his due. I mean, he, he went out there and fought his ass off. They're just, neither one of them are just super high level. I don't even, maybe I should stop saying they're not very good because maybe that's where I get media all the time where <laughs> people write these articles and say, well, Anthony Smith says they're not very good. Well, like they're not, but I don't mean it like that. Like they're not good. They're not good compared to high level boxers. That's not I mean, I'm talking insult. About, that's we, reality. We just got talking about John Jones, Cyril gone, uh, Steve Miocic, Francis Ngannou. And then, and then we move on to Jake Paul. So in my yeah. terms of not very good, like, I'm talking about the best in the world here on a daily basis, every, you know, three, four times a week and then working on ESPN on the desk. And I'm talking about the best guys in the world here consistently every single week. Yeah. And then we talk about Jake Paul, like the, the there's no comparison there for me. You know what I mean? There's just different type, different levels of athletes in their, in their own respective sports. So to be clear, they're just not super high level They're they're for where they're at in their careers. I, I think both those guys are doing great. Yeah, there's a there's a six and zero light heavyweight or six and zero heavyweight out there right now that is mid level, but he would mm-hmm. get slaughtered by John Jones or Cyril Gaon. That's exactly. kind of where you know, and I would Paul say that, that guy's just not very good. Yeah, right and, and, and like imagine putting either of those guys in with Dimitri Bivol. It would be the mm-hmm. I mean, it would be a one round destruction. It would just and that's not that's not a knock on Tommy or Jake. That's just how good Dimitri Bivol is. This guy is mm-hmm. this guy this guy dominated Canelo Alvarez. Right. 
You know what I mean? Like that's just it's not a fair fight. That's like that. You know no. what I mean? Like it's just, and so when you say they're not good, it's not they're not good. They're just not good by that level. You know what I mean? Like right. there's a different comparably as D, to people we're used to talking about. They're yeah, not really good. as DC always says, there's levels to this game. Uh, they are minor league compared to major league. That's mm-hmm. they're still pretty good for. I mean, there's still a lot of good minor league players. They're and just making not, crazy money. And making yeah. crazy money. Why do you and what, good for them? Don't care what I say. They got way more money than I got. So they're doing <laughs> something better them. than I am. Good for the yeah, I but I'm with you though. Stop talking about beating Canelo. Stop talking about beating you know. Just let <laughs> that go. Even, that's just you, funny to even listen to. You lost to Tommy Fury. You're not beating Canelo. And and, and also you said Tommy Fury's 23. Jake Paul's 26. He's even further behind the eight ball. Exactly. 100. <laughs> percent So all right, Anthony, uh, have fun. So we talked about John Jones. We talked about Jake Paul. You're calling the fights in Vegas this week. Are you going to Vegas? You're going to the desk, right? I am. Uh, We're in the desk. So, will you fist bump Conor McGregor while he's out there coaching the Ultimate Fighter? Because you go for Dude, the yeah, I Honestly, I said this. I, I'll say this. I'll say this one before I get out of here. I'll say this. I, I know it seems like Conor and I got a bunch of beef all the time. Uh, it's not on purpose. I'm not trying to make Conor mad. It's it, he's a really proud guy and he doesn't like being criticized. My job. I'm literally paid more money than I should to to criticize people. That's my job. I'm an analyst. So, but I do believe. That if Connor and I were to sit down privately and just have a conversation, I think that he would understand where I'm coming from. And I think I would understand where he's coming from. I very, I very much think the same thing about John Jones. I think if we just sit down over a, a couple cold drinks. Um, I think that we are more alike than we are disalike. I mean, it's just, there's not very many of us out there. There's not, there's not very many people in the world that understand who we are as people because we do a different thing than anybody else in the world. So um, I would love to run into Connor and just have a quick private conversation and just let him know, like, I'm not out to get you, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm not your enemy here. I'm just speaking, just talking. That's all I'm doing. I get asked a question. We talk about a topic and you don't like it. You know, I don't like a lot of things that people say about me, but I, but I, I compartmentalize it and realize that people have a job to do. Um, and I get it. So, you know, we'll see, uh, We'll see how that conversation goes if we see. Hey, he's going to be out there. That's what I say. He's coaching the Ultimate Fighter yeah. right now. There might be an occasion for the little heart to heart. You know, throw in a couple of shots of proper number twelve and have a conversation. You I would know. too. I would too. I like, dude. If that, like, I know you won't, but like, I would love to just be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I'm just saying. I would love so, it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would love it. I, you know, I, it's a it's an open open invitation to Connor. I would love to have a shot of proper twelve and quick combo. Weird. Before I let you go, I'll say this: every interaction I've ever had with Connor off air, like you know, not with the cameras rolling, he has never been anything but genuinely a nice guy to me. Like he's always been incredibly good. It's sometimes the spiders we get stuck on this. And I say that about John too. I'll never forget John. One of my greatest interactions with John Jones. It was UFC in Chicago when Rashad Evans was fighting uh, Phil Davis. Mm-hmm. And John was supposed to do an interview with me and he rushed through and he like didn't stop. I was like, dude, like what's going on? Like he just kind of looked at me and he just kind of walked on. I was like, what the hell? He literally came back in the media room, apologized to me. He didn't have to do this. Apologized to me. said, dude, let's do the interview now. Like it was like two hours later. I thought he completely forgot about it. Like he was in the crowd or whatever. Comes right. back and apologizes, pulls me off and we do the interview. He felt bad. He felt bad. He blew me off and he knew he blew me off. And I was just like. You know, little things like that make a difference. Like make I say, like I'm not defending John Jones and saying he's done the best thing outside the cage ever. I'm saying to me personally, though, he's always been like an incredibly nice dude. Like when the cameras aren't rolling and whatever, John, yeah, same with Connor. Connor's never been anything but nice and gracious to me uh, when he didn't have to be. He didn't have to be. Right. It wasn't like I was doing this for an interview and I'm going to blow it up. Like he did it because he was genuinely nice to me. So I appreciate right. that. And every interaction I've had with both those guys in person has always been positive. 
So it's been a while since I've seen either one of those guys in person, but um, I don't suspect that things will be any different now. I really don't. I think John will be just fine. If John, if John wins, he's going to be sitting at desk with you on, uh, on Saturday. So. I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, it'd be great. Well, Anthony, it's always a pleasure. Uh, safe travels out to Vegas this weekend. Have fun out there. We'll be watching, of course. And thank you, always. For, uh, thank you as always for doing this. Yeah, no worries, man. You take care of yourself, brother. Hey, we'll talk soon. All right. Yep. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May seventeenth, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. All right, now we're back to our regularly recorded, uh, regularly scheduled programming, so to speak. After speaking to Anthony Smith about UFC 285 and Jake Paul, of course, now Matt Brown's back. Matt, what's going on? Yeah, it's one of those days, man. Training hard, bro. Like putting in the hours, putting in the work. Um, yeah, so you know how it is, bro. Well, I guess you kind of know, but I, I live kinda- around it, so I kind of know that way, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of people don't really see, you know, I guess we're, we're talking about we do some kind of fight camp update stuff. I mean, you know, this is when we kind of start getting into the higher volume training and, um, you know, it can just be exhausting, man. It just gets monotonous and boring. And like, for instance, today I did an hour and a half on the Airdyne, you know, <laughs> after doing, I think we did like three combos for like an hour straight. <laughs> You remember I have yeah. your old I have your old Airdyne. Remember that? Do you? Yeah, remember? Don't you remember? I don't remember. Yeah, you I, you brought it. You brought it to my old apartment. My the old Airdyne. You gave it to me. Don't you remember that? What brand is it? Uh Schwinn. Like the old school Schwinn? No, no. It has it has the digital. It has like the digital thing in the middle. Like it has like the the box on it. But uh, yeah, you know it's an uh, all real Airdyne. You 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 don't remember? You, how do you not remember that? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the cte kicking apparently, apparently yeah you brought it over to my house and you're uh in your in your truck and i put i carried it in my house yeah no i i remember now yeah 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 <laughs> it's but been damn. a while it's been it's been several that's years been yeah time. but the airdyne that's a, yeah dude that thing's awesome that's like my favorite thing ever to use so you have to come to the gym sometime and try out the echo bike so it's rogues version of the airdyne Okay. Uh, I think they they have two or three different ones. They have the salt bike and the echo bike. And it's just another level, man. Like it's just it's completely different. It's so like sturdy and thick and um yeah, I mean it's still an aerodyne, you know, but it's very smooth and um man, it, it you know, Coleman, he's he's always there just he won't let me just do a regular workout on it. It's <laughs> it's always a you know, you, know, you got to push a little harder, a little bit longer. So, yeah, we're we're putting in the time, man. Those things are brutal. I remember when I first got it, Ryan Bader sent me a workout on what he uses for the airdyne. Now, obviously, I'm not a high level athlete, far from it. But I was curious. Like, he's like, here's some like workouts you could do, and I was like, cool. 
and it was a lot of like sprinting and then stop and sprinting and stop like that kind of stuff you know and like it was he didn't do it like he wasn't trying to make me like do it like a fighter like it was like a shorter interval holy crap man i was just like even on that i was like jesus christ this is not easy like it doesn't you don't think it would be that taxing you're just moving your arms and you're you're pedaling you know what i mean but good god when you're actually doing it it sucks yeah, the harder you go, the or the faster you go, the harder the more resistance. Is. Yeah, more resistance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was like, I was like, oh, this is, and it's it's that's what I love about it though. It's like a almost like a total body workout while you're just basically riding a bike more or less. You know what I mean? So yeah, dude, those things suck. And like I said, I'm certainly not an athlete, but yeah, that's uh that's intense. Hour and a half. Good God, dude, how are you standing? Well, you're actually not standing <laughs> right now, but how could you stand after that? uh yeah i don't know man you know so we like right now we do a lot more of the longer aerobic stuff try to get the aerobic base up as much as possible so we're doing lots of way longer higher volume stuff um still keep it in the sprint so like i think was it uh, over the weekend we did the damn sprints again at the stairs at the dam you know and and those you know you go all out by the time you get to the top like you're shot so you know you're not doing those for long distance very often you know and for those for those people who aren't in ohio that's the hoover dam uh here in columbus and you can look it up on like google maps or whatever and do a zoom and it's this huge like i've been there i actually remember i met you out there one time um Mm. it's huge i mean it is like and very steep too like it's not like normal like just like Mm. walking upstairs it's huge so for anyone who's not the, Who, who's not stairs, familiar with it look it up it's the hoover dam in columbus ohio you'll know what we're talking about yeah the stairs are spaced perfectly so you can uh, walk up them regularly or you sometimes would jog you know without skipping but then when you skip stairs like you're you're at a full sprint and you have to sprint to keep step, skipping the stairs so it's just a fucking great workout man and um but even those like when we're doing the sprints we're taking long breaks in between and doing you know 10 to 15 of them. Um, I, I guess, a, no, sorry, a couple weeks ago, Braxton Miller came out there with us actually. Oh, really? And uh, he didn't do nearly as many sprints as we did, but he let us get a head start, a handicap about halfway up, and he would completely demolish us by the end. Like, <laughs> I've never seen a guy sprint like that in my life. I mean, this guy is so fast. It is unbelievable. Ohio State legend right there. Yeah, dude, you've never seen it. Like a fucking gazelle, man. Just, I mean, we're literally halfway up the stairs before he's even starting. And <laughs> his his takeoff and his stride and everything is just unbelievable, man. They, so it makes me feel like maybe I'm not such an athlete, but I'll put in the <laughs> well, work. Well, athlete – athletes in different ways trust me football players are different than trust me there's ways that football players are incredible athletes that they couldn't do what mma fighters do either trust me so for sure to be fair he only did i think four of them and we did like 10 of them so there's endurance that's the thing right there you know so um before we get started on other stuff um obviously i said we started the show with anthony smith you guys are sharing a car together in may um, I got, I think I got some news out of him. Have you heard anything yet about the location? Cause I think I got it out of him. There's going to be, it's going to be somewhere with a crowd. Oh, I have not it's, heard anything. It's not going to be an apex show. I think pretty sure. Oh, okay. What'd you hear? Just Spit what I said. I just said, cause they've been building up the card. They've been adding fights and good fights. Like, you know, like a, yeah. it's a pretty good card. And I said, please tell me this isn't going to be an apex card. And he said that from what I'm hearing, it's not going to be an apex card. It's gonna be a crowd. I don't know where. 
I don't know okay. like the location, but he's saying what he said was he's heard it's not going to be an Apex card. So, well, that makes me feel good. Uh, I've actually heard rumors about Jacksonville. I don't know that I'd want to go to Jacksonville, but hey, there you go, Jacksonville <laughs> something. No, I don't know. I've never been to Jacksonville. I've been to Florida plenty of times, but never been to Jacksonville. Um, so I fought there um, during the pandemic with no crowd. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, you know, I mean, the you know, we only see a small area of the city, and you know, I only see the hotel and the arena. So uh, and that shit was all normal and nice. So yeah, all I know about Jacksonville is they got a good football team, Trevor Lawrence, and. uh and uh, everyone always yells Duval because that's the county they're from. They yell Duval. That's what they yell. That's uh, what I know about Jacksonville. So, yeah, well, I'll take it, man. It hey, a, if that's where it's at, awesome. I hope it happens. Yeah, that's all I care about. Like a crowd would just be fucking awesome, man. I'm yeah, excited. So, for- sounds like that's what's at least that's what Anthony and he's the main event. So I'd hope he'd know. Exactly. Exactly. So good stuff. So uh, let's uh, let's get into it. Obviously, I already talked. We talked a lot with with Anthony about you know UFC 285 this weekend. Uh, but let's kick things off real quick. I don't think you did, but I sh- I'm sure you saw the result. Did you see the result in the Jake Paul Tommy Fury fight? I did. I didn't watch the fight. Uh, I was actually took my kids fishing, so <laughs> yeah, didn't get to watch the fight. But I did uh, see the result. And, you know, it wasn't anything surprising. I think I called that it was going to be a close decision. Yeah, you did. And you I did. leaned towards Jake Paul, but, you know, so it's kind of funny because the article on MMA fighting, you know, uh, referencing the podcast and everything. Dude, I read, like, all the comments and stuff. Like, people are just talking mad shit about my <laughs> call because I said, I said, Jake Paul, yeah, at least he's fought some world-class athletes. And everybody's talking mad shit like I was wrong or something. I'm like – no, that's still the truth. <laughs> that's what I said. It's so funny you say that because everyone's flipping out like, oh, he was. So I was like, no, he was. You're absolutely right. Like, that's not being that's not speaking like lies. Jake Paul had fought legit. Like, I, mean, I don't know if you saw like Jay, uh, Tyron Woodley actually commented on the post and said Brown's right. Like, and Chris Wade, another fighter. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Never thought about it. Like, you're absolutely right. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. Your assessment was 100 percent right. He fought fighters. And world-class athletes and Tommy Fury fought taxi drivers and, you know, sheep brought for the slaughter. That's a dude. His, his opponents had a record of 27 and 176 or whatever it was. It wasn't like you were saying anything like wrong because Tommy Fury had beaten up nobodies. That's the absolute truth. Like that is the absolute truth. Like because he won the fight doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't disregard the truth about the level of opposition he had fought up to that point. So it's very funny. One thing I've realized is when I make a when, when I say a take on a podcast and it gets tweeted out like MMA fighting or you know whatever other show or whatever, you get so much hate from it. If I just tweeted that out, like I don't know, maybe just the people that follow me or that it gets pushed to by the algorithm, whatever. Dude, I get the most positive like <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? And people will talk to me and like some people might disagree, but for the most part, like people will disagree uh, pretty friendly, right? They have kind of conversation. So I don't know. That was just on my mind today. So I'm bringing it up for no reason, really. Well, but, no, uh, what you have to, what I have the, to, what I, what I always remember is, is that, you know, social media is inherently a very negative place. Like it really is. Like it's just not like typically a very positive place. Like you, and when you have an opinion, 
you like you could have an opinion that you would imagine the majority of people would agree with, but the loudest voices are going to be the people who disagree with you. Like yes. that's just always how it works. Like I put up a tweet today saying, like, kind of jokingly, like Dana had said, Islam Makachev and and Alexander Volkanovsky will fight again, but not next. Like they're not going to fight each other next. And I said, if Benil Darius beats Charles Oliveira and doesn't get the next title shot, just burn it down to the ground because that dude should already be fighting for the title, much less yeah. like if he beats Charles Oliveira. And I and all the responses have been positive, but I guarantee you by tomorrow there's going to be a couple of people in the comments saying, "Oh, he sucks," or "He didn't do this," or "He doesn't deserve it." Give it to Volkanovsky. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's just how it works. Or, or a lot of like, what the fuck do you know, Damon Martin? Who the <laughs> yeah, fuck like, <laughs> yeah, like that's like that's to me that's like one of those universal truths. Like I don't think like even the fighters in his division are saying he deserves a title shot. Like Rafael Fizzi, Rafael Fizzi, I was about to fight Justin Gaethje, and he's saying Benil Darius should get the title shot. Like, even people around him are saying it, but yet that would be right. And I guarantee you there's going to be a couple of people being like, no, that's stupid. That's not a good take. That's a dumb. Op- <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah, how yeah. it works. Like, that's just how like, you can't have well, an opinion without people blowing up about it. I think I've been kind of spoiled because my social media, my at least my Twitter and Instagram and for the most part, my Facebook is really pretty positive, man. Like I read through the comments regularly. Like I have, I feel like I have a pretty solid followers that I enjoy uh, conversating with, you know? So like, to me, it's not like a hugely negative thing, but it's like when you, I don't, for whatever reason, anytime you reference Jake Paul, all the (laughs) fucking haters come out. (laughs) <laughs> or or yeah. also Miley Cyrus. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they just fucking come out of the woodwork like all the teenagers or you know lonely basement dwellers and all these motherfuckers just come out and just want to bring you down to their level. Dude, I'll never forget this is like going back a couple of years and I don't have nearly the like social media following as you do or or people with more following. But I made a joke. Somebody had said they ran into Justin Bieber at a UFC show. And I said something joking. Like, if you see him again, make sure to trip him and he falls over. Like, you know, just joking because, you know, it's Justin Bieber. Dude, like six months later, I'm still getting hate messages from Justin Bieber fans. Like, being like, fuck you. And, you know, who are you? And they're like digging up photos of me and making fun of me. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. All I said was trip the guy. Like, jokingly said trip the guy. And six months later, I'm still getting believers like going crazy on me for, for daring to daring to utter the word Justin Bieber. So it's real, dude. It is 100% real. When you say something like that, I, it was without fail. When you say something like that, people lose their freaking minds without fail fail especially about these pop stars like what a weird thing to get obsessed about like like the miley cyrus hate that i got was the most hate i've ever got in my life (laughs) from anything ever and all i said was she's not that hot and look i stand by it like she's not that fucking hot like i mean she's a cute girl she's got a decent voice she's not like that like if i'm gonna call out you know one of these uh you know celebrities or something to go on a date like uh what's his name did uh, wh- who was it? Um, oh, uh, J- uh, Julian Marquez. Yeah, Julian Marquez. Like it's not going to be Miley Cyrus. That's all I was saying. Like, like pick a pick a top notch lady, right? All right. Now you're you're. We didn't. We're, so to be just so we don't disappoint the audience right now. This is going to be a bit of a shorter episode than normal because obviously we had Anthony Smith on. Matt's had a hard day of training, so we're going to get into some UFC 285 talk in a second. So we're not going to get to our Ask Matt Brown section this week. We will bring it back next week, I promise, because we we had a lot of questions come in. I want to get to more Ask Matt Brown questions, but let me throw this out to you real quick, Matt. 
Um, you got a you got a lady, so I want to make sure we're not offending her with this. But you know, it's fun. Mm. This is for fun. Who is Matt Brown? Who is Matt Brown's celebrity crush? Like, if you had one celebrity that you're like, yeah, that girl's like, I would that that's a girl I have a crush. Like, you know, for fun. I'm not trying to be lewd yeah. or anything. Just who is Matt Brown's celebrity crush? Well, look, first off, my girl does not listen to any fucking MMA podcast. <laughs> she's a real lady and she's a gorgeous lady. She's a former model, you know, like she's she's actually the perfect lady, in my opinion. Um, but if you're if I was gonna call out a celebrity, it'd probably be Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Scarjo. Yeah, I mean, I don't she just she looks like a lady to me. That's what I like. You know, I don't like I'm not big on like fighter chicks and um you know, like fitness girls and bodybuilding girls or none of this shit. Like I like a lady lady, you know, I want to, I want her to dress up, be classy and, you know, do her fucking hair, like be a lady. You know what I mean? Uh, nothing wrong with Scar Joe, you know, Scarlett Johansson. There's nothing wrong there. So that's a good pick. Yeah. Good pick. Nothing, nothing, nothing I, I don't know cr- nothing about her. Per, you know I mean? I, I don't know the first thing about her other than like, she looks like she would be a lady and yeah. beautiful. So. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong, and there's nothing wrong with having a celebrity crush. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, but I also um, know so few celebrities that, like, <laughs> I could, you know, what I mean, like, I, 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 I don't even know that many like names. Like, you Dude, have to get this because I don't know them. To put this in a, to put this into context for Matt's lack of uh, pop culture knowledge, and I always give you a hard time for this. You still, you've never seen Rocky. Ah. Uh. Did yes, you see Rocky? I did watch Rocky. Did you rock, finally watch Rocky? Yes, I watched Rocky 1 with my kids because they wanted a movie night. And I was like, dude, well, I want a movie night too. Time to watch fucking Rocky. And? They fucking loved it. Yeah? I enjoyed it. That was cool. It was a good movie. I want to see the rest of them now. All right. Do you know uh, in March, I'm going to a horror convention down in Cincinnati and uh, it's a horror convention, so I don't know why they're appearing at a horror convention. But uh, the dudes from the Karate Kid are going to be there, and I'm so okay. so legitimately excited because the Karate Kid was my Rocky, like growing up, like that was the movie that like got me into martial arts was the Karate Kid. So I'm like, here. I'm way excited to meet like Daniel San and 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 and, uh, and, yeah. and all those guys. Like I'm way excited to meet the Karate Kid people. Yes, yeah, so, well, like when I was growing up, I, I grew up in a very very conservative Christian family right like they were like i wasn't allowed to watch 90 percent of movies you know so i didn't get like uh, even rocky you know or like rambo or any of that shit but they let me watch the karate kid and i was begging my mom to take me to karate after that <laughs> i still remember and, and never did but you know i've been the same way dude i like that was the one that got me interested in the martial arts yeah, it was that, and it was I. I graduated quickly. I went from Karate Kid to Bloodsport. That was like my graduation of martial yeah. arts movies. I went from Karate Kid to Bloodsport. Those were my two favorites growing up. Nice, nice. Those yeah. are too good. With Bloodsport's a fucking good movie. Bloodsport is the first time I ever knew what Muay Thai was because the dude in that movie does yeah. Muay Thai. He has we wears Muay Thai shorts and does it. He does the knees. He has the plum and does the knees. First mm-hmm. time I'd ever seen anyone do that in my life. I was like, what is this? And I think was, he was a real Muay Thai fighter, actually. I think he was. Yeah, I think he was. But, like, it, that was in, like, 89 or something, like, whenever that movie came out. Like, mm-hmm. that's long before, like, anyone who, you know, who outside of Thailand who knew what Muay Thai was. Like, I was like, oh, my God, what is this? You can yeah, grab someone yeah. and knee him in the head? What is this? <laughs> you know? I remember, I remember when the internet first came around, when it must have been, what, like, 2000, 2001, sometime around then, when I was actually 
you know, having access to the internet at my friend's house or library or whatever shit. And I Googled all the, <laughs> the street fighter characters, like where they came from. And I remember uh, Saget. Oh yeah. That was my, that was my introduction to Muay Thai. It was him. Yeah. Yeah. And, dude. yeah now I actually watch um, YouTube videos with Saget. Like he has some really good, interesting techniques and he was a fucking <laughs> great fighter. That's well, hilarious. Which, uh, I'll give a shout out to Sylvie Von Douglas. Um, you know, I don't know her personally, but she has one of the greatest YouTubes and Patreon pages, in my opinion, uh, for Muay Thai, period. She does all, she travels Thailand, does all these lessons with the legends. Um, Diesel Noy, uh, Saget is is a big one. Um, Yod Kampan is one. And she'll videotape the whole lesson and translate it to English. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's actually pretty fucking fascinating. I've learned a lot of stuff from it too. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I uh I grew up on all that. Like I said, I grew up on all the uh all the all the games and the uh and the movies. Like I said, that's how I that's how I fell in love with martial arts with karate kid, and that's how I fit that's what I figured out what was Muay Thai by watching Bloodsport. Like that's was my issue because that was before the internet. We weren't you know what I mean? Like there was yeah. no internet at that point. You couldn't look shit up. So you had the movies and like Jean Claude Van Damme, like, I- like like there's no movies like that out there anymore. I feel like no, you know, not, that not like, like introducing that. kids to martial arts like that. I mean, Ongbok was probably the last one. Yeah, I mean they do like they've done martial arts movies like you know I mean they did um uh what was that Warrior the one that did MMA was in it. It wasn't a bad movie. Like it wasn't it wasn't bad. I liked it. Tom Hardy was in it, but it's just a different way of intro. Like there's a different way to introduce it. I don't know that one like. I don't know. MMA is a weird one though. Cause like, it feels like almost like it's not built for that in a movie. Like it's weird to do yeah. MMA in a movie. Like, I don't know how, I don't know if that makes sense, but like MMA, it's hard to translate MMA into a movie. They did that one show. Um, Oh God, the what was it called? Kingdom. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. The kingdom. 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 Yeah. And they did a pretty good job because they had time to do it. They had all, you had like 10 episodes, to, like do it. You can't do it in a two hour movie. It's hard to do it in a movie. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, like, and they I, had, I'd like to see just some like real fucking uh, martial arts movies, man. Like like Bloodsport and Karate Kid. You know, what I mean, like some more traditional shit, like to get some kids into it. Like MMA movies. I mean, they can watch UFC, right? Like every yeah. kid, you know, once they're on YouTube, like they can find UFC easy enough. Have you uh, at any of the UFC events? Have you met Jean Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal? <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I haven't either. I, I don't go to the sound of events. Like, that's, um, I don't know. It's just not really my thing, man. Like, you've been to enough of them. You know, once you've been to enough yeah. of them, you've been to enough of them. Like, there's just not, like, most people, I think, they go to a lot of them. Like, they go for for the crowd, like, to meet Steven Seagal and, you know, to be seen on TV and camera. You know what I mean? Like, watching the fights on TV is so much better. People say it to me all the time because I don't really travel to fights anymore. Like, don't you miss it? I'm like, what am I missing? I've been to like 200 UFC cards. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a cool experience. And if you've never done it, I would absolutely tell you to go. It's an amazing experience yeah. to be there live. But like, I've been to, you know, I was at Conor Aldo. I was at Conor Diaz one and two. I was at, you know, I've been to a ton of big fights. Um, you know, I was at John Jones Shogun. I was at John Jones Leota. I was at, you know, I've been to a lot of big fights in my career um and it's fun it's it's a blast to be there but i've been there you know what was your favorite one that you ever been to so my favorite my favorite fight to be there in person because of the the way the fight played out was connor diaz too 
Because that fight was so back and forth, and it was just crazy being in the arena that night. You know, you know where the media sits. We're five feet from the cage, yeah, so I'm yeah. like five feet from the cage watching this crazy shit roll out. But the best crowd I've ever experienced wasn't the best fight, but the best crowd was GSP Matt Saratu in Montreal. Nice. I'll never forget. I'm on the end of media row. The lights drop. GSP's music hits. Ed Herman, who had fought earlier in the night, come back out and he was standing next to me on Media Row, kind of kneeling down to watch this. The crowd was so loud. And you know, you walk out, you know how loud the speakers are in arena, right? You couldn't hear the music because the crowd was so loud. I could not hear GSP's walkout music because the crowd was losing their shit. It was the loudest, most insane crowd I've ever been around. Was that crowd in Montreal? It was in, it was, I, lo- I remember looking over Ed Herman and Ed Herman looking back at me. We both were just stunned. Like it was so loud. I have never seen anything like that ever before and never again. That's pretty badass. I wonder how it would compare. Well, you were probably there. Like, I feel like my best one, not my best, but probably my favorite moment in UFC history that I ever witnessed live was when Randy Couture dropped Tim Sylvia in round one. Yeah. Like the crowd fucking blew up. Like, how does that compare? That nationwide, I was there. Yes, I was there. That one, as far as a pop goes, that's probably the loudest pop ever. Like okay. people like losing it for a moment. You know what I mean? Like a moment happening when Randy hit him with that punch and dropped Tim Sylvia, the crowd lost their shit. Yeah, that was probably the loudest. But in terms of like a walkout or in terms of like just like a side, you know, like a deafening crowd, it was the GSP crowd. But that moment was insane because Randy was such a fan favorite. And mm-hmm. when he knocked down Tim Sylvia, oh my God, the crowd lost their minds. All right, all right. And that was yeah. that was like the that was like the first really that was like a really big card at nationwide. That was like, wasn't that the first one? Like twenty thousand people in Columbus? Wasn't that like one of the first ones? I don't think it was the first one. I think they did. It might have been, though. Uh, but I, I know, know that at the time, it is set a record for the most people in Nationwide. Yeah. I think it was the first one, if I'm not mistaken. Because I know they went there, obviously, been. several times past that. You you fought there um, last year. I was there. Um but yeah, I think that was the I think that was the first one, if I'm not mistaken. That was Randy. That because at that point I wasn't. Uh, that was back when the UFC had taken away our credentials, and so I was sitting in the crowd. Like I didn't even have media credentials for that fight. Um, oh really? Okay. Yeah, they had taken they had taken away our media credentials, so I was sitting in the crowd. Like I was at the hotel. I went to the hotel afterwards and interviewed Randy at the hotel, and uh, and ran into fighters, talked to everybody at the hotel and everything. But yeah, they wouldn't they didn't credential us, so we're sitting up in the we're sitting with the crowd in that fight. Like I couldn't actually go there and like cover it because they had like that was when that was when the UFC had blackballed all the media for like. Mm. I don't know whatever it was, like 20 or 30 events or whatever it was. And then we eventually got back in, obviously. But, yeah. So that I think you might when... be right. That might be the first one because the one that I'm remembering before that was it felt like a UFC, but it was the Gracie fighting championships. Gracie versus Hammerhouse, right? Oh, that was the one in Columbus. That was at the fairgrounds, wasn't it? No, that was at Nationwide. Was it at Nationwide? The the one where Wes Sims got DQ'd against Daniel Gracie. That's right. My Kyle fought. Fucking uh, Shallon Ribeiro fought. That's like right. There was a there was a who's who that night. We'd have to look at the card and remember, but there was a lot of studs that night, man. That also reminds me when I went to that card with uh, Randy Couture. Uh, we were walking up from parking at Nationwide Arena, and I'm walking towards the entrance, and I ran into Wes Sims. I remember Wes went up. He's like, "What's going on, man?" I was like, "What's up, Wes?" And dude, just, <laughs> you know, you know Wes, like he's you know crazy. 
And uh, it was just funny. Like, he's just walking around. You know, Wes Sims is, you know, 6'9 or whatever. He's a big dude. You know what I mean? Like, it was just funny running into Wes Sims. Running into Wes Sims outside of Nationwide before the UFC event. What's kind of interesting about Wes, I know him pretty well now. I didn't know him quite as well back then, but obviously we knew who each other were and everything. And what's interesting about him is as crazy as he seems, he's actually an extremely smart guy. And he's uh, he's a very smart businessman. He is doing very fucking well for himself, man. He's got a, two or three different businesses, and he's making more money than he knows what to do with. Wow, that's awesome. I haven't spoken to Wes in years. It's been several years since I've spoken to him, but I always liked Wes. I'd, I used to have Wes on my old radio show all the time. Like, we'd have him on constantly. Like, he was a hilarious dude. Like, just cracked me up. Everything you would talk about was hilarious. Like, I remember the time he told me about the time he uh, he played hero and stopped someone from getting mugged. Did he ever tell you this story? He had did not. He stopped some dude from getting mugged, and then the cops came up and like tried to break it up or whatever, thinking it was a fight, I guess. And he's like, and uh, I'll never forget. I used to play this clip on my old radio show. He said, uh, he said uh, uh, the cop said he was going to mace him. So Wes Sims wanted to see a good mace him. So I said, mace him, mace him. And he's like, that was a bad idea because the cop mace him and the wind blew it back in my face, the cop's face. He's like, it was bad for everybody. That <laughs> sounds like a West story. I'm going to have to ask him next time I see him. He still comes yeah. around every now and then. But uh, amazing what he's done with his life, man. You would never think, like, the way he acts and stuff. Um, I think he might have been playing a character a little bit, but, boy, he is a smart guy, man. That's good to know. You know, dude, like, you know as well as I do, man, there's a million horror stories of guys who leave the sport and they don't have success. So uh, mm -hmm. hearing that he's doing well is amazing to hear. That's amazing. Like, I legitimately, like, I'm super happy for him. That's really cool that he's doing that. Probably a good guy to maybe get him on the podcast one day and just see how he's doing. And no, absolutely. Dude, we go back up. a long ways. Like I said, that's when, you know, it, obviously the tragedy that was when Kevin Randleman passed, um, you know, cause I used to have Kevin on my show all the time when, when he's, when his wife did the hall of fame induction, uh, two years ago, like she reached out to me and just like, you know, wrote me a really, really nice little letter and sent me something because like I had known Kevin for so long. Like I had had Kevin on my podcast and like, I still like, I loved Kevin. Like I adored that dude. Um, and like that meant the world to me. Like she remembered that. Like she remembered like you know Kevin like doing my show and like we had been friends and stuff. So uh, I always like you know those guys. There's always gonna be loyal to there. And like I go like West probably at this point West probably has no memory of it because it was like a decade ago when he was on my show. But he used to come on all the time. Like he used to come on like you know I don't know like you know, a couple three times a year. He didn't have a fight. We just have him on to like BS and like talk. And uh, he always had a story to tell. Like that was West Sims. He always had a story to tell. Yep, he's got some more to tell now, too, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity— 
But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Let's uh, let's get into it real quick here. UFC 285 this weekend. John Jones making his heavyweight debut. We talked earlier in the show with Anthony Smith. Of course, Anthony, I'll give you a little bit of you know, kind of like the lowdown on what he had talked about. You know, obviously he fought John. He believes John's going to do well at heavyweight. He picked him to beat Cyril Gaon. I know, and and he actually, and here's an interesting take, and I I disagreed, but he had an interesting take. He said like he actually thought Francis Ngannou would be an easier fight for John. When I say easier, I just mean easier than Cyril Gaon. He said, I think John would probably 50-45 Francis because I think there's a clearer path to victory there. Uh, but he did pick him to beat Cyril Gaon. Um, I think when we talked about it a while back, Matt, we both agreed like Francis was the biggest obstacle. Um, where do you rank? Because like, I like Cyril Gaon. I don't want to make it sound like I'm disrespecting Cyril Gaon, but I just don't, I don't think he's the, the most difficult matchup for John Jones. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we don't know how John's going to perform a heavyweight yet, which is the first thing. And um, if he can perform well, um, I kind of, I get where Anthony's coming from. You know, the thing with Francis that we all know is he just has the X factor, man. Like, I don't care if you're John Jones or anybody, like he hits you, like the fight's over. He could be, you know, it could be one of those John is up five rounds to nothing and, you know, a, a clear wash for John Jones and then 10 seconds left, Francis finally lands that one shot and it's over. Whereas I don't think, I don't know. I haven't watched a ton of Cyril gone, but I don't see that in him really, you know? Uh, but it, I, th- so I think the risk is just different where the risk of, of Cyril gone is more like, he, you know, pointing him out or just simply being a little better, you know, um, you know, being a better striker, John maybe not going for the takedown, like, but it's hard to believe that John isn't going to get the takedown at some point and probably demolish him. Yeah. Whereas whereas with Francis, it's like, even if you do that for five rounds, he still has that chance. It it only takes one where I don't know if surreal has that or not. And he might, but. I mean, I think I think almost every heavyweight to a certain extent has that quote unquote one punch knockout power. But I'm saying like proven one punch knockout power. I agree with you. Like right. I don't think he has that. Like could he could he connect with one punch and put you out? Of course he could. He's a heavyweight. Anybody, you know what I mean? But that's not what he's known for. That's not his style. Like yeah, look at his fight with Tai Tuivasa. Like he had to batter Tai Tuivasa to finally put him away. Like he didn't just put him away with one shot. Yeah, and it's gonna be interesting. I think. Um, you know, the the most interesting part is going to be how does John handle those punches at that weight versus, yeah. you know, he got hit to a five, uh, pretty decent amount by lesser guys. And we, we 
pretty much assume, you know, he probably wasn't motivated or fighting at his best. He was too relaxed and chilled. Um, but if that's not the case and he gets hit by a surreal gun, you know, how is he going to handle that, uh, that, that punching power? Yeah. Where do you, where do you rank? I'm curious. Where do you rank John on your all time list? So my all time list, he, it, it's kind of tough, man, because you have, you, I, I don't think you can make an all time list and have someone that's tested positive three times and, and not take that into account. If you, if you take that into account, then you almost have to put an asterisk next to it. Right or wrong? You're right. You're right. This, this is where the whole debate. See, you're you're right. Yeah, okay, it. you're you're right. And I, if you go back and listen to other podcasts I've done in the past years ago, I said the same thing because I said, you know, that's a knock against Anderson Silva. It's a knock against John Jones. Maybe mm-hmm. my opinion has changed in recent years, and here's why I, I've I've lessened my stance on that a little bit. And here, and again, you could disagree with me. I'm just saying this is why I have two reasons. One. I think there. I think John did fight at a time because John fought before you saw it. He became champion in 2011 or whatever. He fought at a time when I'm quite sure there were guys he fought that were juiced out of their gills more than likely. Mm-hmm. Like you know, what I mean, he fought at an unfair time. And Agreed. two, he also fought during the TRT era when guys like Vitor, who he did fight Vitor when Vitor was, I mean, you know, Vitor was on you know secret juice times 20, uh, you know, taking TRT. Now, by the way, did nothing wrong. That was legal. It was completely legal at that time. You know what I mean? But we all know, you know, getting jacked up on TRT was, you know, there was making some of these guys Superman at 40 when they weren't really Superman at 40. Um, so I also, again, I know that sounds like I'm discounting things to make room for John Jones, but like I, when I started thinking about it and then I think about even today, like this, again, we brought this up. When we talked about Conor McGregor. Like you said, Conor McGregor has done nothing wrong because he found a loophole in the system and he's just exploiting it. And you're 110% correct. But he's not the only guy. There's other people, I'm sure, that are exploiting it in some way, shape, or form. Doesn't mean they're out of the pool, but they're doing something. So I don't, I, I, maybe it's just the cynic in me, Matt, like the cynicism in me, where I'm just like, you know, I'm kind of living by the Diaz, you know, the Diaz, <laughs> the Diaz theology of everyone cheats. Uh, but like, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not saying it doesn't matter. What you're saying is 110% correct, because that's been my stance all along. But I guess I've just lessened my like my my like how rigid I am about it because it feels like a a lot of people cheated during that time. A lot of people still cheat during this time, and it doesn't make it right. I'm not saying it makes it right, but I don't know that John. Like, if John's not fought in a level playing field, I don't know that John's fought against guys on level playing field. So it's kind of like mm. I, I don't I don't maybe I just maybe this is just me in my old age being like I just don't care anymore. <laughs> You're right. I, yeah, I think I I feel a little bit of that too. So, to answer your question, then um, if we if we're looking at the steroid allegations and you believe he's on steroids or was on steroids or that it was a cheat, right? Let's say, okay, then and, and you're just removing John from the list altogether, then it's probably Demetrius Johnson. If we're gonna put John in there then yes, he's number one. I don't think there's any question about it. If you're willing to look past that. Yeah. I just, I think here's why I, I think skill wise, Demetrius is probably the most talented guy, but also I think that also goes there. There's a, I mean, this is not a, this is not a, you know, a, a knock on Demetrius, but like Demetrius as a smaller, lighter guy can do things that a 205, 230 pound guy can't do. For I mean, sure. 
that's the reality, right? Yeah, like, and 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 his level of competition was probably not what John and that's, was in. That's what always that's I love Demetrius. Just interviewed Demetrius a couple weeks ago. I love Demetrius. I think he's incredibly, but that's the problem right there. I think he exactly. didn't fight he didn't fight the same level of competition as John, and I don't think he fought the same level of competition as George St. Pierre. And that's why I kind of put him a little lower on like the all now we're just talking talent, the most talented martial artist. To me, it's Demetrius and 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 uh and John Jones, like one and two. You know what I mean? Like however you want to do it. But we're talking like accomplishments, yeah. the greatest of all time. To me, it's John Jones, George St. Pierre. I still put Anderson, like again, I know we're talking about the whole, you know, drug thing, but like I put Anderson near that list and, and then probably Demetrius around yeah, like top five. And again, how bad is it to be top five all time? You know what I mean? Like that's not a bad <laughs> right, knock. Right. But I just I just think John is undefeated. I don't care. Sorry, Matt Hamill, you didn't really beat him. Um, and he beat so many good I mean, he did he beat show he beat the brakes off Shogun at twenty three. You know what I mean? He beat Machi choked out Machida when Machida was still Machida. He beat Rampage. He beat I mean, everybody, dude. He beat everybody and beat them handily. And and then when he almost lost to Gustafson, when he came back, he beat the he beat the brakes off Gustafson in their rematch. He has two wins. I know the second one got overturned, but he has two wins over Daniel Cormier. I consider Daniel Cormier one of the greatest of all time. Like he's in on that list. He has two wins over him. You know, like those are the kind of accomplishments yeah. where it's just like even G. I, listen, dude. I'm not knocking GSP. I'm just saying, like even GSP. He, he, if there was going to be a knock on him, and this is a very small complaint, I'm just saying, like, he didn't, outside of Johnny Hendricks at the very end, and Johnny was probably, you know, probably not all natural either. Um, you know, you, we've talked about that before. Uh, but, like, he didn't really have that huge one contemporary that was his equal. John had that at least in Cormier. Like, I think, again, when, when John wasn't around, Cormier was the champ, like, and proven they beat everybody else. Yep. GSP never quite had that. Like he had good people, but he never quite had that guy that was like seen as his equal. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think that uh, so for me, like it's John, and then everybody else has an argument for number two. Everybody we just talked about, but I would put Anderson to have a good argument for number two also. I, Anderson, I agree. GSP and Demetrius, I think. It's a sort of all semantics at that point. Who's number two? But John is just a level above every single one of those guys. Does he? So we already. So again, I know we're we're talking about the drug thing. Let's just again. I'm just discounting that for the time being. Okay. If we both say he's number one right now, what what does a what does a heavyweight title do for John Jones's legacy? I mean, I mean, geez, it's completely. I mean, he's already number one, and then. It just cements it even farther. Yeah. My question is, if he loses, where does he go? I still think he's number one because, again, like I don't think there's any. Again, I don't. I don't think Israel Adesanya is lesser of a middleweight fighter because he lost to Jan Blahovich. You know what I mean? Like I don't right. think he's a. You know, I don't. I don't take away how good um, Alexander Volkanovsky is because he lost a close decision to Islam Makachev. Like, he's still amazing. You know what I mean? If John Jones, and again, it also depends on how the fight plays out. If he goes out there and gets absolutely rocked and destroyed inside of one round, it's different than if he loses a 48-47 split decision or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. You know what I mean? But if he loses and it's a close fight or he loses late or he's winning and he gets caught late, like happens what we talked about earlier, 
I don't think it really hurts him. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't. I mean, he might retire. He might say, well, I'm done because like, you know, that might be, he might just say, I'm not, if I can't be champ and I can't be the best in the world, I don't want to be here. But I don't think it really hurts him. And to me anyways, because again, he is, he is a light heavyweight. Now, do I think he has a body built for heavyweight? Absolutely. I've stood next to John Jones. He's massive. Um, but I don't think it hurts him that bad. I mean, you know, I don't think it kills him. And listen, in reality, it only puts him on a level playing field. George St. Pierre has a couple losses. You know, Demetrius Johnson has losses. Like, John just has none. Like, he has no losses. So what's a good, like, what does one loss really do to him? Yeah, that's a really great point. So, yeah, I I, I agree now that you mention it. Because, look, if he goes up and loses, at least he lost a heavyweight. You yeah. know? And, again, depends on how he loses. But, yeah, Dude, he's the greatest, man. Like, everything he's already done, he's pretty much already cemented it, right? Like, it's going to take someone a very long time to even compete with him as the greatest at this point. Yeah, it's... Right? it's How many title defenses does he have now? I mean, he had, like, he's undefeated in title fights. I don't remember, because he lost his title and all that thing, so I don't know what the number is, but I think he's got, like, 14 fights in title fights he's won or something yeah, was, like I that. I thought it was 13 or 14. I mean, yeah. that's an unreal number, and you look at the list of guys that he beat... You know, especially like guys that were, you know, in their primes, right? Like, like Shogun was fucking killing people, you know? I don't know if he was necessarily in his prime, I guess, but like Cormier was certainly in his prime, you know? Like, this was in the, the way that he beat Cormier, too, is what was that was probably what solidified it to me was the, the Cormier fights. Like, he'd taken Cormier down. Like, who takes Cormier down? <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, yeah, he, I mean, he just, and he's so dominant in all areas. Like, you, you know, he's had a little bit of trouble on the feet, but again, we kind of, we're kind of like, well, that's him. You know, he's just getting bored, right? We're like, great. When, we're also, I think we're also grading him on a curve too, right? Like, yeah. He sets, he sets the expectations so high that when he doesn't just look amazing, we're like, what's wrong with John Jones? <laughs> because he just yeah, sets the bar so high. Good. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day, right? When when a lot of times when guys such a big underdog, if they have any success, you're just like, wow, he did awesome. You know, you kind of overplay what he actually did. So I think that's happened with John Jones a few times, you know, when and if you look at it more objectively, you know, he was still dominating the fight and controlling it and winning. Uh, but it, again, what I'm get what I'm saying is he's just so fucking dominant in all areas. And, and just fucking makes guys look like amateurs sometimes, man. And it, it's just amazing like to have an athlete like that in the sport. Guys who are really good, he makes them look bad. Like guys yeah. who are world-class championship-level fighters. Like at yeah. his peak, at his peak, could you tell me that Alexander Gustafson couldn't have been a UFC champion? He absolutely could have been a UFC champion. Yeah. Glover Teixeira ended up being a UFC champion. John Jones demolish them i mean you know what i mean like that's it wasn't you know what i mean so like he makes great all, fighters all he makes great fighters look pedestrian exactly and and in all areas too you know it's not like you know i don't know like anderson right like he pretty much had to keep it on the feet right like when he fought jail you know he finally like he looked completely he, he was about to lose the fight on the ground Right, he had like John Jones would never, you know, he, he, it doesn't matter what area it's in. Like he is dominating you there. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. And, and, that's, and uh, that's also why I kind of uh, I, I put DJ up so high. You know, not just the the you know the reason we don't keep him number one is you know mainly because of the level of competition. But he's another guy. Just he's up so high partially because of his resume and what he's done, but in all areas, he is just looks absolutely phenomenal against everyone in every single area of the game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so I assume you're picking John Jones to win on Saturday. I'm definitely gonna pick him to win. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to take him down and elbow him badly. I just surreal gone got taken down by Francis and and this is not a knock on Francis, but John Jones is, you know, a hundred times the wrestler that Francis Ngannou is. If he takes him down, Cyril Gon's not getting back up again, in my opinion. So uh, I'm with um, you on that. And, and, and yeah, I, I have at least, again, I haven't studied Cyril Gon's fights, but I haven't seen anything to show that he could handle John's grappling in yeah. any way. Speaking of, real quick before we get out of here, speaking of the co-main event, another fighter who has set the bar so high that when she has a split decision, suddenly people are like, what's wrong with Valentina Shevchenko? She had a split decision. Valentina Shevchenko is the number one pound for pound women's fighter in the world. Um, sorry to everyone else, but she is. Um, she's so good. I remember when she had one round loss to Jennifer Maya and everyone lost their shit. Like, oh my God, she lost a round. That's how high the bar has been set by Valentina Shevchenko. She lost one round and people are like, holy shit. Um, she has a very favorable matchup this weekend against Alexa Grosso. I like Alexa. Alexa is a boxer by trade. That's her best weapon. You're playing into Valentina's world, and Valentina is a devastating striker with more power, more weapons, and if she takes it to the ground, I I just I think this is this is the fight that's going to remind people just who Valentina Shevchenko is. Yep, couldn't agree more. I think that's exactly right. And uh, you know, the biggest thing is like Valentina is so much more athletic and like stronger. You know, I, I haven't seen anything from Alexa Grasso show me that she has a clear path to victory on this. Yeah, it's just a tough one. I mean, again, this is this is the last time people questioned Valentina when she had that fight with Maya, her next two fights were Kaylin Chukagan and Jessica Andraz, and she absolutely mauled them to prove a point almost. Mm -hmm. Like she just, and I unfortunately, I think the toughest matchup for her is Aaron Blanchfield. That's not the fight we're having this weekend, though. It's Alexa Grosso, and I like Alexa, but I don't like her chances in this fight. I just don't. I just, this is, this to me is a bad matchup for her. Like this is a bad matchup against a dominant Muay Thai striker and a legitimate savage on the ground. In, in Valentina uh, yeah. Shevchenko. Yeah. I, again, I, I just don't see anything where, you know, MMA is a crazy fucking sport. You never know what's going to happen. But um, there's, on paper, there's no clear path to victory for Alexa Grasso. So she's got to come up with a great strategy and be trained pr perfectly and go in there and perform at her absolute peak to have a shot. Yeah. And that's to have a yeah. shot. Like that's exactly. not like that's not like making a fifty fifty fight. Even then, we're like, well, yeah, I got a puncher's chance. Um, you know, yeah, what I mean? like and at that point, you're you're really you're kind of hoping that Valentina has an off night. Yeah, and like you're at your peak, she's having an off night. Everything went perfect for you, um, and that's just the only path to victory that I can see for her. in terms of um, you know grappling, striking, and all that. Like I just don't see a path to victory, unfortunately. And uh, Valentina was just mad. You said it perfectly. She's just amazing, dominant in all areas, and 
I think she's the best woman's fighter I've ever seen personally. Yeah, she's incredible. Uh, before we get out of here, I got to go full circle. It's funny. Anthony brought this up when I talked to him, and I think you'll get a kick out of this too and laugh. He was talking about how we were we – st- we obviously talked a lot about John Jones because he fought John Jones. We broke down his fight and him coming to heavyweight. And he said that he was talking about how like how funny is it that we go from John Jones and we closed our conversation talking about Jake Paul. He's like, talk about like the, the, just the huge, like the, the, the chasm between two subject matters, you know, about the greatest of all time in John Jones, then going to Jake Paul. And he's like, that's combat sports, I guess. And I was like, it's true. We talked about Jake Paul to start our conversation. We end on John Jones and Valentina Shevchenko. Could you think of two polar opposites in terms of, and this is not a knock on Jake Paul. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to dig on Jake Paul, but this was kind of like we, our, our always conversation about when Jake would say, I'm going to beat Canelo one day. And I'm like, dude, you're not beating Canelo. Like after, after watching him fight Tommy Fury, like it would be, it would be a crime against humanity to put him in there with like Dimitri Bivol. Like that would just be like, someone should get arrested for putting him in the, in the ring with somebody like Dimitri Bivol. Like just bring the cops on. Like, dude, you should, that's not right. Like, you know what I mean? Like that'd be like me. That'd be like putting me in the cage with Francis Agana. Like you're just, what you're just doing it to see someone get murdered. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be fun to watch though. And I actually like Jake. I don't have anything against him, but it would be fun to watch because you would see the, the the difference in levels. I mean, it's amazing. Like people forget like how hard fucking boxing is, man. I mean, MMA is hard as it is and everything like boxing. You're only allowed to throw your hands. You're only allowed to punch the head and the body. Like it is a hard fucking sport, man. And, and, you know, people kind of start, you know, they see Jake Paul do some basic stuff against some, you know, old MMA fighters, or whatever, and they start thinking all these things, or or just like, you know, giving Connor a chance against Floyd. I don't know who did that. I don't know who would have ever said something like that. They, uh, you know, not to mention any names here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about that, Matt. Let's not talk about that now. It, should we talk? Yeah. Should we talk about Connor and Aldo again? Come on, let's talk about that one instead. <laughs> there we go. So like, you know, people would just forget how fucking difficult boxing is, man. You know, yes. these these guys like Bavol and May- Mayweather and Canelo, but they've been perfecting this art since they were children. And they're one in a million, even of that. Like there's yeah. so many people that have been perfecting this art since they were children and still haven't succeeded near anywhere near these guys. So like so- they're one in a million of those one in a million. Something that, something that Anthony brought up, and he's right, because boxers like wrestlers start very early. Like, generally speaking, boxers are boxing at, like, you know, you know early, early years, right? Uh, Jake's 26. He's 6 and 1. He just lost to another novice boxer. Like, Tommy Fury, no one, no one is going to sit here and claim Tommy Fury won, but no one's going to sit here and claim Tommy Fury is a championship level boxer. He's far, far, far from that. And Tommy's 23. He's still got time, but even that, like, Jake can continue on. I hope he does. I hope he continues to go. And listen, I hope he fights Nate Diaz. I hope he fights KSI. I hope he fights all these guys, makes a boatload of money and has fun with it. But this, the whole, like, I'm going to be a champion one day conversation just needs to stop because if you can't beat Tommy Fury, and this is not a knock on Tommy Fury, if you can't beat Tommy Fury, you are not on the level of a legit, you are not beating any, and are there, I mean, listen, there's a million titles in boxing. There's some JBCF that would, you know, throw him in a title fight and give him a belt yeah. for the sake of doing it. But in reality, like real organizations, IBF, WBA, whatever it is, come on. Like, so we just got to yeah. stop that conversation. Like it's, it's over. But like, I also it's never, over. I, I never, um, 
what's the term look for? I, I would never uh, say that someone can't do something that they say they're going to do. You just, you never really know. But the chances that, like, what he's shooting for is something astronomically distant. Like, like it is a, a very, just the, one of the most difficult things you could possibly ask for a human to do. He'd have about as good of a chance to make in the NFL as he would as being a world champion, <laughs> you know, in the WBC, right? Uh, uh, boxing. So, you know, or the ring champion or something. Um, ring magazine, for those of you that don't know. Um, you know, the, like the the odds are just astronomically against him. Yeah, and you can be a box. I think again, a lot of people said he's a pro boxer now. They take I can hundred percent give him respect, hundred percent. I respect anyone who steps in there and does what they do. It's dangerous. I'm not doing it. Good for, but just again, ex- we got to have realistic expectations about it, right? Like it's okay to be Jake Paul. It's okay to fight Nate Diaz and Tyron Woodley and Anderson Silva and KSI and all these uh, whatever. Have fun, dude. Make your millions, dude. He said he made thirty million off this fight. Good. I'm glad you did, dude. Right. I'm proud no, I didn't, of you. I didn't watch the fight. I heard that he gassed out. That's what a lot of people were saying. He did, but then he got a knockdown in the eighth round, which is kind of crazy. Like he hit him with a straight uh, punch. And, and he, that was I seen knockdown. That was a fucking slip, 100. percent Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was not like a full on knockdown, but no, uh, that was a slip. But that that was the only part that I don't like about it is like you know that he gassed out. You know, he's got the millions of dollars. He's not, he's financially free. He's not uh, having to work a job or something to keep up. He's got access to all these people and trainers. He should not be gassing out in an eight round fight. That tells me he was not putting in the amount of work that he should have been putting in. And that is what makes me question whether he actually has the potential to be a legitimate professional boxer. Right. He, he's a pro boxer already. You know, he he went out, he fought a real pro boxer. More power to him. Congrats to him. Good job. Uh, it, it takes a lot just to get to that. You know, even people want to discount Tommy Fury, but to go eight rounds with Tommy Fury in a split decision deserves respect. And I respect him for that. But the fact that he gassed out in those eight rounds, you know, that's, that tells me that, um, you know, he's not going to be a top 10 boxer ever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, I, don't think, I don't know if anybody was calling that <laughs> saying that he was going to be either. So yeah. you know, don't make that the headline. And <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, that's the reality. Like I said, it's nothing against Jake. And then, like I said, dude, Tommy, you know, Tommy's not the greatest boxer, but he impressed the hell out of me because I was Tommy's biggest critic. I said, I watched Tommy Fury fight and I was not impressed at all. And he went out there and stuck behind his jab Use good footwork, basic boxing fundamentals, just little. I mean, again, just the the little fundamentals that Jake Paul didn't have, and he beat him with it. And good for him. Like I said, good for yeah. Tommy Fury. He did what he was supposed to. Do. He outboxed him, and uh, you know, Tommy Fury impressed me. I, Jake didn't lose by a wide margin. He didn't get blown out of the water. He didn't get knocked out. But um, it, it, like I said, there are levels to this game, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Everyone always takes it like it's this offensive thing when you say like he'll never be a champion. Okay, guess what? There's a million really good boxers out there who will never be champion. That's not like a, that's not, I'm not trying to insult you. That's just the reality. Like, unfortunately, you know, some guys are going to run into Canelo or some guys are going to run into Javante Davis or some guys are going to Tyson Fury. They can be really good boxers, but they're just, they're unfortunately, they're not that guy. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And this is part of why these boxers, they do so many matches before they have big fights and before they take on risks like that. 
they they get to uh, know who they are, right? And they get to learn about themselves and how how well they are, where their weaknesses are, and everything. So the fact that these two guys came together at this juncture in their career is actually pretty impressive. Like you don't see this in boxing very often, right? Most of these guys, you've seen uh, Tommy Fury's record, how the guys kind of get a little bit better every time, but they're still, you know, they're still not world beaters or anything. And he's still got another 10 fights or so for that. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, these guys, they got, they may have a lot more potential than either one of us realize. Like, Canelo Alvarez at one point was eight and zero, and we didn't know who he was, right? And yeah. probably wouldn't watched him, and you probably wouldn't have thought, "Oh, he's going to be a world champion" by watching him, right? You know, this is the way uh, boxing works, right? Like they don't even make names until you know fifteen, twenty fights in. So, um, you know, I don't take anything away from either one of those guys, and I think both of them, you know. But again, without watching the fight, you know, they may have the potential to go on and do big things. We have no idea really at this point in their career. That's why boxers box so much so that you do know all this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's again, well, I think that's what's going to slip up Jake Paul because I can't think Jake Paul's going to suddenly start fighting the two and 20 boxers to build his resume. He's just too big of a name to do that. He's going to have to fight yep. ADS. He's going to fight KSI. And he's kind of, and again, going to make him a lot of money, but it's not going to get him the experience he needs if he actually wants to be a championship level boxer. Yeah, I guess that's um, – we'll kind of see how it goes. It's going to be hard to find 10 more guys like that, Yeah, right? Like, like it's like how – you know, how how quickly do you exhaust all these big fights that are actually big money fights until you do have to go find – you know, like like a Tommy Fury, you know, he's only famous because he's a, a Tyson's brother and he was on a, a reality show or something. Yeah. You know, you found a regular 8-0 guy, like how many people are going to pay to watch that? Exactly. And that's the problem. He's kind of, he's already running, he's already starting to run the limit on guys that can fight at this point. You know what I mean? Like there's only so many guys that are going to draw that crowd and they're not, they're not going to pay attention in fighting, you know, Joe, the gas station attendant who's got a, you know, three and 10 boxing record. They're not, they don't care. That's not, you know, like they don't, that's not going to draw a crowd and it's not going to pay him $30 million. Um, Yeah. So it'd be interesting to watch, see how this kind of pans out in the next few years. Cause uh, the, the one thing that, Jake Paul won't have a shortage of is MMA fighters coming out <laughs> of retirement or, you know, um, you know, uh, big name MMA fighters coming out of contracts or out of retirement, whatever, that totally be willing to step in there with them. A hundred percent, dude. Mike Perry wants to do it. Nate Diaz wants to do it. Again, there's going to be a long list of guys who are wanting to do that. And you well, know anybody, what? Good- anybody, every single MMA fighter in the world wants to do it. Yeah, you know, except maybe like Conor McGregor or something. Like even him, like he would, you know, like there's too, so much money involved that it's like, and any athlete in the world wants to do it. If you got paid ten million dollars, would you fight Jake Paul? I mean, what kind of question is that, bro? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'd fight a fucking gorilla for ten million dollars. <laughs> I've always said it, dude. I was like, I was like, give me five million dollars, I'll fight Francis and Ghana. It'll be one punch, and I'll wake up in a hospital bed five million dollars richer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you might not have any brain cells left, but I mean, dude, I listen. I've been knocked out before, and you know what I remember about the knockout? Nothing. I remember getting hit. I don't remember it. I don't remember. I know my head hurt a little bit after, but I really don't remember it. It wasn't like I was like, oh, my God, I got, you know, I got kicked, and I went out, and I don't remember shit. <laughs> I actually know a guy who was a 
I don't know if he was a good MMA fighter. He was on his way to being a decent MMA fighter, probably like six and one, six and two, something like that. And I remember he got the shit beat out him so bad in a fight that he literally dropped his hand so the guy would knock him out and he wouldn't have to feel no more pain. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that's serious right there. Yeah, he, he was like, I'm just done with this. Just <laughs> put his hands down. The dude fucking walled him, knocked him out. And he was like, I was like, dude, why'd you drop your hands? Shit, I just wanted to get the fuck out of there. He's like, this shit's hurting so bad. I've seen, dude, I've seen a similar situation. I won't say names. I, I know who it is. I won't say names. But there was a fight where I saw a dude in a lower, I think it was a king of the cage card. He got mounted and the dude was just beating the brakes off him in mounts. And he literally put his arm up in the air and just basically put it on his chest, like begging him yeah, to arm, arm bar, bar him. And he did. He arm barred him. And then as soon as he went down, he tapped because he just wanted out of there. But he's like, I can't, I'm not going to, the referee's not stopping it. So here's my arm, dude. And they took it and stopped the fight. Like that's, that was just like, he, it was so obvious. He literally put his hand up on his chest and just stayed there. And the guy just like kind of looked at it and he just went for the arm bar. Like he's literally giving him an arm bar. Yeah. It was kind of a sign between the two, right? The guy on top's like, like, Oh, you want me to take your arm? Okay. Yeah. And he just fell into the arm bar and tapped immediately. I was just like, why don't you just tap to the strikes? And at that point, dude, like you're just done anyways. Like there's no shame in that. Like, you know, be done. Uh, Last question, we get out of here, Matt. Don't you don't have to go you don't have to go deep on this because this is me not knowing boxing as well. On Saturday, on Sunday, they were talking about Devin Haney and Vasilomachenko. Is that a good fight? Oh God, that's such a good fight, bro. May, I think Come they on. said May twentieth, I think they said. Oh man, that's such good. There's a lot of good fights coming up. We got Tank Davis and uh, Ryan Garcia, which I know you know about. I know that one. I know that one. And I know Lomachenko. I'm not super familiar with Devin Haney, if I'm being honest. Oh, Devin Haney, he's been in Mayweather since he was like, I actually heard about him when he was like 15 or 16 years old. Some, some couple people from Mayweather's were like, dude, there's this kid. He's a fucking stud, man. Um, and he's been mauling, mauling, whopping everybody, man. Looking great. Not really a knockout guy, I guess, but um, he went out and fought George Kambosis in um, Australia. Kind of got his name out there finally. Um, that's the guy that beat Tiafimo Lopez. So... But Devin Haney is the real deal. Um, obviously, we all know Lomachenko is too. Uh, but the fight that I'm most excited for is Plant Benavidez. Oh, yeah. Uh, was it uh, David Benavidez, right? David Benavidez yeah. and Caleb Plant. Yeah, I know Caleb Plant. Caleb, Caleb fought. I think, yeah, Caleb fought. Um, um, Hello? Canelo. That's right. Yeah. That's where everybody knows him from. Yep. Um, Benavidez is working his way up. If he beats Plant, I bet he gets, you know, if not Canelo, you know, at least a, a really big fight next. And Benavidez has been the truth and looks amazing. A great jab, great straight punches, a big guy. I think he beats Canelo personally. Um, I think Caleb Plant's a tougher fight for him than Canelo. Um, so I'm excited to watch that one, man. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, I heard that because I knew Devin Haney's name, but I wasn't as familiar with him. I knew he beat Cambosis. I knew that, but I didn't watch the fights. So I knew he was well, good. Well, you know, the thing with Lomachenko is he he's beat these guys, these great, like like he beat Rigandau, like, uh, you know, beat these amazing fighters so badly. You know, made, I think, three guys in a row quit on the stool. How often do you hear about boxers quitting on the stool? Yeah. And, and Lomachenko just makes them look terrible. These were all three world champions, too. I can't remember if it was two or three, but they were all world champions, you know, with legitimate titles, like legitimate uh, champions. 
quitting on the stool because they <sighs> just can't touch him. They can't see where the punches are coming from. They're getting beat up. Um, now, Devin Haney hasn't done that to people, and Devin Haney's a lot bigger. So, boy, this is an interesting fight, man. You got to look into it. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. Uh, it's a great matchup. Um, Devin Haney's probably one of the most fundamentally sound boxers, I think, in the game right now. And he's kind of on his – this is kind of his coming out party. You know, he beat Cambosis, which was cool. But I don't – you know, most people didn't have Cambosis up that big. Like, it was a a huge upset when he beat Tafima Lopez, but it was – but no one really thought – I don't think most people thought too highly of Cambosis. And then Devin Haney went there and walked through him. So this is kind of his coming out party. He beats Lomachenko good. He's going to start to – on his way to be a ne- the, one of the next superstars in boxing. Yeah, when I first heard of Lomachenko, it was on the uh, Mayweather-Pacquiao undercard. He fought on that one, if I'm not mistaken. That was the first time I had seen him fight, uh, and I was super impressed. He was like the first or second fight of the night because it was him, and then uh, Leo Santa Cruz, is that his name? Is yeah. that, he was on that card, too, I remember, because I, I was covering that fight with uh, Mayweather and Pacquiao, and I remember they fought on the undercard, and that was the first time I'd heard of Lomachenko. I think at that point he was like 5-0 and or something like that. And, uh, yeah, everyone was very high on him at that point. But like I said, I don't follow boxing as closely. So I know the name Devin Haney. Don't follow him. Don't really know him. I know Lomachenko. I've watched Lomachenko. I know how good he is. So I had to throw that one out at you because I figured you'd be excited I don't remember Lomachenko being on that undercard. But if he was, it was because um, he had lost his second fight. So he came in. It was his second or third fight. He came in and started fighting champions straight out of the gate. Yeah, he was uh, like he it, didn't he didn't really have like warm up fights in his early no, part of his career. No, Orlando Salido was uh, the, who he lost to, and it might have even been his first fight. As a matter of fact, um, he came out, started fighting champions straight out of the gate, and um, got a lesson in what it is to be a professional versus an amateur. Yeah, like or- it was it was Mayweather Pacquiao. He fought in the undercard of that against. Uh, Gamalier Rodriguez. It was two fights after the Orlando Salido fight. He had beaten Gary Russell and some guy's name. I'm not even going to try to pronounce. And then Rodriguez, he knocked him on the ninth round. That that was the that was the fight. So that was the first time I'd seen him. He was three and one going into it, and four and one afterwards. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So Russell Walters was a, a legit champion. Um. So what had happened was, you know, Loma got a real lesson in. Uh, uh, what professional boxing is versus amateur. So Lando Salido came in overweight, pull, like did a lot of dirty moves, probably a lot of um, low shots, really bullied him around, like clinched him a lot, grabbed him, pushed him against the ropes. And, you know, just a lot of veteran, some people call it dirty, but, you know, it was really just more veteran moves. Like he'd been, you know, had a long history of being a, a, a boxer. So, but since then, Lomachenko's looked untouchable. And then he fought Lopez. And really, in my opinion, um, you know, Loma lost the fight, but he was by far the better fighter. Like, he just didn't do anything for, like, the first eight or nine rounds. And then started. I watched that, I watched that fight. He just, he kind of was, he just didn't do anything early. Like, he just kind of stood yeah. there. He didn't throw any punches. Yeah, just no urgency, right? So then, but we've seen in the last few rounds, like, he's by far the better boxer. Like he finally started picking it up and, um, you know, and finally started putting it on him. So anyway, so uh, that's a completely different matchup than Devin Haney though. Tiafimo comes in wild, those big, not really wild, but you know, he comes in those big hard punches, 
stands his ground really strong. Devin Haney's going to move around, be technical, be fundamental. Um, it's going to be an interesting fight, man. I can't wait and to Cambosis, see And Cambosis beat Lopez, and then Haney beat Cambosis twice, right? Like another, Exactly. Another, okay, so exactly. yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, there you go. See, learn something every day. Uh, boxing with Matt Brown. That's uh, educational for me right there. So, uh, all right. We're going to get out of here. Obviously, want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes in each and every week to the Fighter versus the Rider. Uh, we'll be back next week with the fallout from UFC 285. I know I'll be watching, Matt. I assume you'll be watching. And then uh, Monday, we'll break down John Jones's uh, heavyweight debut. Cyril Gaon, of course, Valentina Shevchenko uh, taking on uh, Alexa Grasso. Also, a great welterweight fight on that card. Jeff Neal and Shavkat Rachmanov. That's a great Ooh, fight. Really looking forward to that one, too. Fight. So we'll break down everything on next Monday's show. Uh, Matt, where can people check you out as you continue getting ready for your fight on May 13th uh, if they want to show you support? You already know, man. I, did, I, I am the Immortal on Twitter and Instagram. Matt the Immortal Brown on Facebook. Um, and you got to sh- give a shout-out to my sponsor. Thank you to Routine, R-O-O-T-I-N-E dot C-O. Uh, um, personalized Vitamins, taking your blood and your saliva and your dna building a multivitamin that's not a generic store-bought vitamin but something actually built for your um not your body your body type your blood and thank you to all the guys that keep sending me positive messages messages and support watch out on may 13th going to smash some faces love it love it we'll be back next week with another edition of the fighter versus the rider Watch UFC 285 this week and follow along over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on Home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.